Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. God, I'm glad it's Friday, aren't you? Oh, I'm so delighted it's Friday. We'd never get here this week. Hate having this little sort of, you know, tribolato in your voice and all that kind of stuff. Tribolato, what the hell is that? Who knows? We just invented a new word. Anyway, between now and seven o'clock this morning, we shall rip into just about everything. Into everything. Uh, the train uh, passenger, remember from yesterday, the two fellas, uh, they've complained about this woman who says that she had a reserved seat, uh, and they've said, but um, they said that reserved seats don't count anymore. It's all a bit complicated, actually, with Virgin, as it would be. And, um, and she never said she was disabled. Uh, the average British worker only takes 28 minutes for lunch break. I didn't think people had lunch breaks anymore, did they? Those people do it at their desk. You know, I mean, gone are the days we go, I'm going for lunch now, Mr Higginbottom. And they go, OK, see you in an hour, and off you toddle for an hour. I can remember when I worked in a shop. Years and years ago, I used to have uh, a lunch break. I don't think it was an hour. It was enough time to go to the toilet, go upstairs to the little canteen, have a, have a cheese roll and a cup of tea and all sit on a chair and that was it. And then you go back downstairs. Sometimes you wouldn't do your full hour. Some people, of course, like to milk it and actually do the full hour. But nobody now, if you're a worker in an office or something like that, you, you tend to work at your desk, don't you? I mean, the amount of times I see people here who don't take time off for their, for their lunch break. They just sit at the desk and either, you know, go and get something from our canteen here or they bring in sandwiches or they go outside and go and get something and then bring it back in. But very rarely do people actually go out and away from the office. <coughs> Sorry, I'm going to be doing a little bit of coughing on the programme this morning. Not much. Not much. I don't want to complain about it, you know, the fact that I've got this stupid little cold thing, which actually now we've actually sort of dried up the nose. I then fell over in the kitchen the other day. I've got bruises everywhere. I've got bruises. And I must have obviously done it because I've got blood on the sheet and the bed. So that's got to come off now and go to the washing machine. It's always something, isn't it? It's always something on a Friday. But the good news is we've been paid. Yeah. Woo. Woo. Love the paying bit. The paying bit's good. And I was very good last month. My bank said to me, you've been very good, Steve. You've actually still got money left. Because actually, I've always got money left because I never spend all of it. But this month, as you know, has been horrendously expensive. We've had the uh, the car service. We've had... Uh, what did we have? We had um, the insurance on the car. We've had something else. I can't remember what else it is. We've had... I think I had about three things. It was just three bills, one after the other. And they were all sort of fairly, fairly substantial bills. And whatever it is, we've got to pay that off, because otherwise it's, it's just ridiculous if we don't pay it off. I'm not one of these people I used to be. You know, you get the bill in, it goes £748, minimum payment £21. You go, I'll pay the minimum payment, which, of course, means you're not paying anything. You're just paying a little bit of interest. So uh, we discovered that was false economy. So we pay it all off at the end of each month. If I have to go broke for the, uh, f- for the next month, then I'll, I'll go broke. But because I've saved a bit of money last month... It means that I'm actually not uh, not as broke as I thought I was. You're doing origami or something in there? Is he doing origami? What's he doing? I thought he was sort of... What, did, what are you doing with a piece of paper? You thought, did you used to do... OK, well, his, his programme finishes. I think you find it finishes at, uh, at four. So while you're still doing stuff for it, I've got no idea. What, 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 what are you doing for it? You're doing the podcast? I don't think so. You finished the podcast. My God, you're fast, aren't you? You're very fast. So what are you doing now? Nothing. Just hanging around, wasting your time, aren't you? Because you've got no friends. You've got nowhere to go. We are your friends. Us and the pigeons in the square down the road. You are Mary Poppins, aren't you? Feeding the birds tuppence a bag. You're down there all around the cathedral with the saints and the apostles. 
I mean, to be honest with you, I think I think he should be banned from the studio. Seriously, coming in here, disrupting my programme. You know how cutting-edge of political I want to be at this time of the morning. You're not helping. I don't think there are. Oh, wait a minute. I think you'll find there's a vacancy at BBC Radio Essex. I think there's a little vacancy down there. You could go there. In fact, I hear there's going to be quite a few vacancies, but that's another story, isn't it? And um, and what else do we have? Why is it that the papers have got it so wrong about about Paul Hollywood? Why is it they've got it wrong? So he works for a programme which is uh, made under licence by the BBC. OK. What I need to find out is, actually, I'll try and find it later on. I'm trying to work out how many... Mary Berry, BBC programmes have been because she said she's staying with with Bake Off. Paul Hollywood saying that uh, staying with with the BBC because of loyalty. She's eighty one. How many more years of loyalty can she have? I don't want to be rude about it, but she must be thinking this. I mean, surely. And so Paul is going off to Channel Four, which is great, and they've offered him a lot of money. It's I think a three year deal. I think it's probably worth about seven million. What's wrong with that? I don't quite understand why why the papers uh, uh, Jan Moyer has labelled him uh, greedy. A greedy rat. Why? If Jan Moyer was offered more money to go to the Sun newspaper and they offered her, say, 250000 a year or something like that, she'd be off like a shot. Would she then like it if we all picked on her? Went, I mean, most of the time she gets it right. Most of the time. On this one, she's got it completely wrong. He's a freelance. He goes where the money is. If somebody offers me more money at another radio station, obviously not now because I've signed a contract, but, you know, when I'm out of contract, then obviously, you know, the world is my, is my oyster. And you could go wherever you want. So if somebody comes up and says, listen, we want to offer you two grand a programme, I have to say I'm not taking a pay cut. It's as simple as that. I'm not doing it. Other people in the building might want to. There might be other presenters here who perhaps aren't. You know, and again, BBC Radio Essex in a station with no audience. And so they'll, they'll be looking for all sorts of people. Who they're going to get to host the breakfast show, I've got no idea. Can't imagine. But Paul Hollywood. Perhaps we could push him down there. Or Heavy D. Heavy D, who's in the papers today. Who's uh, who's also popping up on our on our special free podcast later on? He was apparently a celebrity. He's that big fat uh, bloke from uh, Storage Hunters, who's neither funny nor interesting or has any personality. But uh, apparently he's now a celebrity. And every time I look at that, because Gogglebox is back on the telly tonight, I think Gogglebox is back. And um, I looked at that Scarlet woman, this this sort of young chubby faced girl who seems to sit there with troweled on makeup. She obviously has no mates. She spends most of the time watching television because we know that they don't get very much money for it. They're just doing it for the exposure. There's the two gay guys in Brighton who apparently aren't an item, which I got confused about because I thought they were an item. They're just two gay guys in Brighton, which is kind of not such a big deal if you've been to Brighton recently. Uh, also, how much did Paul Daniels leave in his will? Not a lot. Not a lot. £500,000. Uh, it was one and a half million. But by the time they'd taken off uh, money owing and stuff like that, I'm assuming death duties, I'm assuming, I don't know. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the world. But he left £500,000, which you might think to yourself is actually, you know, not bad money. Uh, but, you know, Debbie's got to work, I would think. Debbie's got to work. And, you know, when you get to that, he's been very successful all his life. That's why I was surprised. It was only a million and a half. Excuse me. Uh Oh, dear, lovely. I need that. This morning, uh, it's watermelon. And I got a thing yesterday. You know when you sit in front of the television, and, and I, I, did, I did go out on the deliveries with John the other day, which was very nice, but I, was, I just felt ill. I've got this... It's the inside of my head is a bit muzzy at the moment. It's not, you know, it's not fully there. And I, I went to the fridge, and I thought, wait a minute, what have I got? Oh, God, I haven't got anything to drink. I had some milk. And ice-cold milk, I was eating, but it just makes me thirsty. So I went out and I bought some... I had to get dressed, and I went out and got some water. 
And I bought some, one of those smoothies from M&S. I'm sure they're available elsewhere. But this one was cucumber, avocado and lime. And then in small print, also pear juice, blah, blah, blah. But it's such piddling amounts in there. And so I tried some of that and I thought, oh, that's going to send me around the bend. So uh, I just had a, a glass full and then that, that went. And I bought another one, which is banana and strawberry smoothie, which I think comes with a base of orange or something. Anyway, whatever it is. And I bought the water and everything else. So now I've got a fridge full of water. And uh, that was lovely. Went to Costco. They've started getting the Christmas decorations in. And you know me for Christmas. In fact, uh, I was talking to, uh, to Rich, who works on one of our sister stations, literally just over, within two seconds of this studio, because we're, we're just all radio stations in this building, all radio stations. And uh, he was saying that uh, a mutual friend of ours, Ian, who's over in America, he said, I've never known two people who love Christmas as much as, uh, as, much as you two. But we couldn't think, Ian, what is that one film that we both love at Christmas? I, I went through a sort of little list in my mind, and I couldn't remember which one it was. But uh, he, he, he loves Christmas. He loves Christmas. I don't think Rich is particularly bothered about Christmas at all. But it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Uh, as the new Bake Off hosts, they were saying, um, Alan Carr and Gok Wan. No, we don't want the gay boys on there. I'm sorry. The gay girls, we wouldn't mind. I tell you, I, I thought the other day, I was thinking, I sort of ran through my list of, of lesbians that I know on the television. You know, the Claire Baldings and people like that and uh, Mary Queen of Shops. And then I suddenly realised I was listening to a programme and the voiceover was the fabulous Rona Cameron. And I thought, she could do that. She could do it. Rona Cameron could do that programme on the television. She'd be brilliant at it. Brilliant. Um, one of the papers says, you'll be really shocked. M&S have got Christmas decorations up. Shocking about that. Nothing shocking about that. Selfridges have had their Christmas shop open since August. So, and also, it's coming up to October that's when, you know, it turns a bit chilly. I put on a thicker shirt. A little bit, little bit of a lumberjack look today. This is my, this is my kind of look. And, um, and so I can't wait. So they've started putting the stuff in to Costco. They haven't put the Christmas cards in yet, because the moment the Christmas cards go in, you've got to buy them fast, because they, they sell out, and you get a box of them for 11 quid or something, and they're all handmade or hand-put together or something. They're really nice Christmas cards. So I always like to get their Christmas cards every year. I don't buy charity cards just in case you were going to ask me. And the reason I don't is because there's so little goes to the actual charity, it's hardly worth bothering. If you want charity Christmas cards, go to the charity. But we seem to have seen the rise recently of shops which uh, open up in London, probably all over the country, selling a multitude. They call it, I think, charity Christmas cards. But I think when the, when the papers investigated some years ago, they found that a pack of Christmas cards selling for £2.30, the charity got something like 1p. It was, it was really bad. If you want to give money to a certain charity, go and buy their Christmas cards. Don't go and buy them in a charity Christmas card shop. That's my advice, if I was offering you any advice on the programme this morning. Um, keeping in touch with the ex can ruin a new romance. Hmm. That's probably quite true, actually. I don't know whether or not you should keep in touch with exes. And the other one is the... Uh, it's the first Roman Emperor Augustus who celebrates his birthday today. I can't quite work out how old he is, but I think he must be fairly ancient by now. Uh, and we could do happy birthday in Latin. I don't know what it is in Latin. I'd have to sort of... Uh, with, with happy birthday in Latin. Because they never would have sung it, would they? Because it came along some years later. And, uh, and I forget, was it two sisters who came up with happy birthday? Um, so it's Felix Natalis. Felix Natalis. So if you're listening, Augustus, sitting up there in your cloud with your harp, Felix and then uh, Donetsch Vobis, which is happy birthday to you. But of course, you all knew that Latin speakers out there. 
because uh, I didn't get very far with my Latin at school. I got as far as Puella is a girl, Stella is a star, Rex is the king, and it's a moa massa mat, a mama sa matis a mant, which is I love, you love, we love, they love, I think. It's one of those. Anyway, and so that's, what, and that's the only thing I remember. And then you could put together a, a, a phrase like the Romans have conquered the wall or something. It was all very tedious and very boring. And so I just switched off during Latin lessons. I wanted to learn French. I also want to learn a violin. I, uh, I speak a little, a little tiny bit of Australian. Just a little bit of that, because that, that's quite difficult to master. The German is actually not bad. I, I can get by in, in German. I tell you who's very good at German. The newsreader, Charles Rowe. He's uh, he's he's fluent. He's he's by. It's really quite interesting. I mean, I was you know when we were out there, and he was speaks two languages. He um, honestly such a sewer of a mind, isn't it? Really, it's so dreadful. No, he's um, sorry. His his job. He used to translate things, things writing in packets of things. He used to do the translation for condoms. Okay, thought I'd tell you that now. <laughs> I always say to people, never tell me anything, please. It's a way, it's seriously bad. But uh, he, so he's, he's, his German is very, very good. Very good. And I think Ian, Ian Dale, he's certainly been around the world, hasn't he, on a baking tray? I should imagine he actually probably speaks quite a few languages. Well, sort of, you know, generally it would come... <laughs> it did something very rude then. I just realised what I couldn't do. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Matt Fry, new to Saturday mornings from 10 on LBC. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow, Matt Fry's first programme. I don't envisage any problems with that programme at all. You know, normally you get somebody new joining, but, I mean, he's so he's, he's been doing it for such a long time. It'll be a breeze. I need to up my ante, actually, I've decided. And, of course, we get the Labour Party results as it happens. I need to actually up my ante on this programme. I've decided, actually, I don't want to let sort of the, the ratings slip or anything like that. How can I boost attendances on this programme? We seem to have got most people in on it, looking at the, the figures. How can I get more people in? I know what I need. I know what I need. And it, what are you doing? The red light's gone out. It's still on, yeah. I wonder, hang on, wait, hold, 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 hold horses, everybody. Oh, it's back on. That's odd, isn't it? I, I need to get a graffiti person to spray paint my name on motorway bridges up and down the land. Listen to Steve Allen, 4 till 7, LBC. If I have nothing to do with it, that's OK, isn't it? He could do it. He could do it. We could send the Aussie boy out. He could be the sacrificial lamb. We could send him out there with three cans of spray paint. He could write my name in big letters. Steve yeah, and we can tip the police off. That means we can get him arrested, deported. Fantastic. This is getting better by the minute, honestly. I love it when a plan comes to fruition. That was like, the, was that the A-team did that? Or was it Mission Impossible, where they said, I love it when a thing comes together? And I can't remember if it was the A-team with uh, Fool, him, and all the rest of them. Uh, I love it when a plan comes together. It was the A-team. Hannibal, played by George Peppard, wasn't it? I liked it. When he died, I was quite shocked. I'm always shocked when people die. Always. thought I was going to die yesterday when I fell over, but that's another story. Uh, anyway, uh, what else do we have in the paper today? Um, the signs that you're middle class. You know, because people are obsessed with their class nowadays. <laughs> they, don't know, they don't know if they're working class, middle class, upper class. I can tell you that 99.9% of you listening at the moment would not be upper class. You would not be upper class. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, how much money you've got to your class. It's your upbringing. It's the sort of school you went to. It's uh, what your parents did for a living. It's got nothing to do with money. 
Because otherwise you'd, you'd be sort of trying to work out whether or not the Beckhams were upper class. No, working class. Both working class families. So you can't move yourself out of the working class thing. Trudy Styler, married to Sting, working class. Cheryl Cole, knee whatever she is, working class. No, no matter what she does and how much makeup she trowels on and everything else, working class. Katie Price, no class. Jordan, no class at all. Kerry Katona, no class. And, uh, and, and Jodie Marsh, no class at all. Just really at the end of life, I suppose. And uh, Andrew says, I find the whole class system hilarious. A competitive elitist pretension leads to more than just eccentric behaviour, but with some pure nuttiness. Yeah, I mean, put it this way, I mean, I think middle class would be shopping in Waitrose or Marks and Spencers. You'd not be going to Aldi, would you? Or Morrison's or Lidl or anything like that. Well, you would, but you'd be going in disguise. And I think the car that you drive could say something about you. And then the more I think about it, I think, well, actually, it doesn't. Because a lot of people who live on these huge estates, they drive Range Rovers. They don't have big flash cars to go out in. They have Range Rovers and they spend most of their time in sort of country casuals, of which there is a shop in London where you buy them all from called Cordings. And they sell all of that stuff and it's part owned by a, by a rock star. So... What is class? Is class what your parents did for a living? Because we all had to work. Well, most of us had to uh, work. Our parents worked for a living and, uh, and gave you a start in life. But uh, no amount of money. Footballers are all common. They're all common. There's no way that any footballer has ever come from a classy family. I don't care whichever way you look at it. They're all working class people and uh, they've just got loads of money. So the Roonies... Typical, I mean, real council estate people, but they've got loads of money. So they think that takes them into another class. Roman Abramovich, or, but yes, yeah, I've heard it called loads, loads of things. Either Abramovich, Abramovich, it's, I suppose, the, the Russian pronunciation, close to pronunciation, pronunciation would be Abramovich. But he's got loads of money, but no class, because he was a barra boy. So he's got tons and tons of money, but he can't have conversations with anybody on a particularly high level. His uh, girlfriend, I think, is sort of quite classy. But there again, she obviously likes the old money, doesn't she? She must do. Otherwise, why would you be with him? He's not exactly a looker. So you're going to be going with somebody for their money. And that's why, you know, you see footballers in clubs and they've got the Cristal Champagne and, you know, and the best vodka and caviar and everything else. And they attract bimbos. They're basically attracting one-night stands, which is what they're looking for. And the girls go, but he told me he loved me. And you go, no, darling, he doesn't love you. It's just that you've got the word easy stamped all over you. And so that's what it is. So people try and elevate themselves and move up the classes because they think then that they'll be able to sort of wander around Harrods and go, uh, OK, darling, we'll have some of this. But the people who talk like that aren't going in Harrods. They would have it delivered. They're not going to be going out doing shopping. Who does things like that? That's why whenever you see the people in, in Made in Chelsea, you feel a bit sorry for them because nine out of ten times it's the parents who've had the money and uh, the, I mean, look at old Paul Spencer Matthews, poor old soul. He might be having to go into another reality show because there's no work for him. Nobody's interested. You can't touch somebody who did steroids. Good God, no. You don't have anything like that. And have you noticed? No, no tattoos. I don't think Spencer Matthews has got any tattoos. Whereas I think Jamie Lang, the one who's looking slightly old for the programme now, he's beginning to look slightly sinister. Uh, should not be on the programme. They should have dropped him ages ago. I think he's, he's got a little company. But I think he's heir to nothing. I don't think he's heir to anything. They always put them down, don't they? They like it if they're heir to something, but of course they're not, because it would be a lot of other people before that. Uh, another one in. Uh, Steve, another wicked show. Ten minutes in and you've thrown in the baking tray. I know. Italian is a crude form of Latin, uh, says Jane. I find Latin fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Jane says, momento mori. We're going to die. Thank you. 
And, uh, Steve, anyone who works for a living is working class, says Trish. Yeah, I'm working class. I came from working class background. I aspire to be middle class. I like, I like nice restaurants, but I've eaten in chronically awful places. I've been in, you know, the usual sort of place. I've even been in Spudger-like. You know, I shop at Costco, and there's a lot of working class people going there. So I quite like that side of it. But uh, I drive a nice car. Uh, I can afford to do nice things because I work for a living. You know, if I didn't work for a living, I'd probably still have the nice things and I'd probably still sound like this. But whether or not it works all the time, I don't know. So uh, what class do you think you are? What class do you think you are? 84850. I mean, is is Chav a class, says Manuel? Because it is the majority in this country, isn't it? Chav could be. I think that's actually a subculture. I think Chav is a subculture. I think that's when you sort of, you, you look at people on the Jeremy Kyle show and you think, I mean, I, I saw something the other day, which, I'm sorry, it gets me angry every time. Every time I see pets being abused or animals being abused, uh, I, get, I get slightly irate, slightly build up a little bit of blood pressure. And, uh, and it was a programme about the RSPCA and they had to go round to rescue two dogs and a cat from a council house. Uh, the person had moved out of the council house and they'd left the dogs and the cat inside with no food. So when they opened the back door, finally, these animals couldn't wait to get out. They finally, they must have breathed a sigh of relief going, we've been rescued. Yeah. And in fact, they, they were taken uh, back. The house looked like the Somme. It seriously looked like the Somme. It was just, there was dog excrement all over the kitchen, over everything. And you think, I would like to find the person who left these animals. You know that when we used to talk to Cyprus, to Nathan Morley, he used to uh, tell us horrendous stories of people who'd bought holiday homes over on Cyprus, bought a pet and then just moved back to England, but left the pet in the house. Who are these sick people? Oh, I tell you, I'd be, I'd, I would be taking the law into my own hands, I'm afraid. I have got any time for people like that at all. It's dreadful. Uh, somebody says, I'm from an ethnic minority. What's my class? Well, I think you've said it. Minority. I don't know. I don't think it, it, it works very much in India. In India, there is a class, a caste system. You get different people in different things. And you'll probably find you get the same in, in other countries. I would think probably in America, there is definitely a class system. I can't think of a place where there wouldn't be. Afghanistan, I think you're just poor. I don't think there'd be rich people in Afghanistan unless they were warlords or something like that. Um, but no, if, if, you're, if you're Indian or Chinese, there would, be a, there would be a caste system, wouldn't there? You'd be looking at that. Um, North, North Korea, I don't think there'd be many classes there. I think the class would be you're either alive or you're not. I think that would be it, you know, depending on whether you get on the short, fat, ugly bloke. Uh, somebody says, us upper-class folk listen to you avidly. All right, be told. You see, upper-class people would not write be told. They'd be going, OK, yeah? You know, that would be it. Uh, talking of lunch hours, I once had an interview, Steve, with a local uh, small husband and wife team. I was somewhat bemused when they complained they'd noticed their present girl would sit in the car rather than answer the phone. Well, you see, uh, it, it was like that. You did take a lunch break, but apparently now we don't take lunch breaks. And I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why we don't take lunch. I suppose because you want to keep the job, don't you? So I've never taken a lunch break. But mind you, I mean, my friend John complains bitterly. He says, of course, he said, it must be awful for you working three hours a day. They always say that. I've, I've had friends of mine say that before to me. And it's all I can do to hold back from laying them out. Uh, you know, when they say it's three hours a day. And, and I always think to myself, well, it is actually. It is only three hours a day. But I have to get up at one o'clock in the morning to get myself ready to sit on a radio programme where nobody can see me. Apart from the producer. 
and you have to be thoroughly entertaining for three hours, because if you're not thoroughly entertaining for three hours, people turn off. And if they turn off, your audience figures go down. If the audience figures go down, they get rid of you. So I've consistently made sure that I'm as entertaining as I possibly can be at this time of the morning. So the audience figures go up. The boss likes me. He gives me money. Ta-da! Everybody perfect. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, every Friday, 23rd of September. Of course, loads of money. No class is nouveau riche. Nouveau riche. So in other words, you, you, know, so you, you see them on the holiday programmes. Yeah, we've been on them before. And uh, the wife loves a bit of a cruise. And, uh, and they're, they're generally people who come from a particular section and they like going away on cruises and stuff like that. But, but they would be classed as probably aspiring to middle class. I mean, years ago, I'm old enough to remember three classes on the train. First, second and third. Although we didn't call it third, we called it cattle class. Cattle class. It was quite funny, actually. Uh, there is a book out by uh, Owen Jones called The Demonization of the Working Class Chavs. And... Uh, he says that the working class, you know, uh, they, they've become a bit stereotyped uh, now. And uh, it was, it's people like Vicky Pollard. Yeah, but no, but yeah, but no, but yeah, but no, but. And these people really do exist. You see them on uh, Geordie Shaw, you know, in any other context, you'd be calling them Pond Life. And Vicky Pollard, Jade Goody, you know, Jade, Jade Goody sort of epitomised somebody really thick and stupid who then sort of went from salt of the earth to scum of the earth. You know, and people like that. Now you get the girls from Essex, mainly on the Essex programme. I find it quite bizarre. Who can't speak? Listen to Lydia Dim talking. It's, it's, it's like listening to a five-year-old, Gemma Collins, you know, a woman well into her advanced years, and still speaking like she's a child at primary school. It's very worrying, actually. But you should have a look at, the, uh, at this book. It's been out for a while, actually. It's probably the book that kind of made him, but it's, it's an, a, a damning indictment of the media and the political establishment, because you get a few working class people, don't you? There was a guy the other day on the television, and he was the, what was he, the Labour and Treasurer of, of Brighton and Hove Albion, so whatever it was he, was, he was sort of going out, and he was being followed by this film crew, because he was going out to defend Corbyn, and some bloke saw him and went, yeah, Tory scum, and so he said, why'd you say that? He said, because you're Tory, aren't you? He went, I'm the leader of the Labour Party in Brighton Over. This, this idiot bloke scene. I went, oh, you mate? Oh, sorry, I didn't know that. And shook his hand. I thought, because he was wearing a suit. And people assume, if you remember the Conservative Party, it's, it's a bit sort of semi-OKR. All the women have got sort of permed concrete hair. And the blokes, you know, a lot of gay blokes. And, uh, and they all wear suits. And they all probably read politics at university. And the rest of us just sit back and go, it's so boring. It's so dull. It's so boring. I never believe politicians anyway. I just, you know, whatever they say, I don't believe them. It's, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Uh, how do you know they're lying? Their mouths are moving. Uh, somebody else here. Let's try and get all these in if we can. Uh, it's confusing you say that footballers have money but are working class uh, and then say that you're middle or upper class if your parents have money. Yes. Does that mean that kids of footballers are a higher class than their parents? No, it doesn't count because that, that runs through the line. Like run through life. Sort of a retired major who's come back from uh, living in Botswana for 25 years would be, uh, would be uh, sort of, you know, at, at the top of the uh, top of the scale, I think. I mean, Chav is definitely an underclass, very low intelligence. You know, the sort of people that have a dog, but it's, it's on a piece of rope. It's not on a lead unless they've nicked it, because that's what Chavs do. They, they generally thieve. And, uh, and you just get this 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 subculture. It's people who can't be bothered to work for a living. Because they just go and thieve something. So, it, it, we have an example of nouveau riche. Nouveau riche would be, uh, would be Philip Green. He's nouveau riche. He's nouveau very, very riche. And here he is, fat and bloated, 
And, um, you know, and now, of course, he's got millions, which is great. But he, to me, he just looks like a chav. Bernie Eccleston looks like a chav. He's on his, he's on his yacht. What did he pay for that yacht? Was it 100 million? 400 million. Good heavens, honestly, I'm so out of touch with the yacht prices at the moment. Ever since I bought my little canoe, uh, I decided, actually, that life was not going the way I thought it was going to. But he doesn't care. He's, uh, it was 100 million, yeah. I thought so. He's, um, he, he's got a 100 million pound yacht. That's great. I, I, I'm not envious of anybody having anything. If you've actually got it, fine. I couldn't care less. You know, it's just that loads of people lost their jobs after BHS collapsed. And you sort of think, oh, yeah... Uh, Jamie Lang is the McVitie's empire heir. No, he's not. That's what's so stupid about it. It's so stupid. Billions by all accounts, says Mark and Lincoln. No, that's just what they, what they put out. And they, but why would he be the only, is he the only, only child of, uh, of Hector Lang? Hector Lang. And, um, there you go. Frosty moment, Kate Garraway calls out McVitie's millions heir, Jamie Lang, over his money worries. Because, um... He was uh, explaining why he finds it important to do other things rather than the E4 reality show. When Kate pointed out, he really didn't have to worry. He's set to inherit the McVitie's biscuit fortune. The trouble is, there is no McVitie's biscuit fortune. It's a, it's a company. It's a co- you don't think that somebody dies. And uh, he says, the great thing is, we've all been given a golden ticket. Into this. He talks absolute garbage. And we're super fortunate, but there is that possibility that it will go trust fund baby Jamie explained in other words there is no huge amount of money that's going to go his way seriously I mean the Hilton group was sold off ages ago do you remember seeing Paris Hilton being given any money no I used to work for Hector Lang years and years ago and I don't remember him mentioning the fact that Jamie Lang was inheriting anything it's always a good little story isn't it and um Jamie because it, it's very interesting. Kate went in for some killer shade-throwing questions. She said, you're the heir to the McVitie's fortune, aren't you? So you're not really struggling if it all comes to an end. Jamie then said, it's a slightly grey area. And then, then Pratt girl jumped in, Stephanie Pratt, uh, to point out the obvious awkward moment. It's not, it's fine, he insisted, slightly flustered in the now presumably frosty studio. In other words, I don't think there is any money he's going. He says, but he said, I run a sweet business and I do other things. So, Jamie's great-great-grandfather was Alexander Grant, the inventor of the digestive biscuit. As well as the uh, reality show income, Jamie lives off earnings from his sweet company and the trust fund set up for him from the family money. So, in other words, he needs to work. Obviously, the money coming in from the trust fund ain't very much at all. And, uh, and that's it. But, of course, the moment you start mentioning it, the whole thing starts collapsing like a pack of cards. Hector Lang, I used to see all the time. So he, he has his little sweetie business. I can't remember what it's called, actually. There's a name for it, isn't there? And he sells sweeties, but obviously he's not making that much money out of it. So he gets that, and he gets the money from the, uh, from the TV thing, which, again, is a pittance. Nothing. Nothing at all. And um, so I think, uh, you know, the trust fund and the reality show incomes. I don't, I don't think it's very much at all. I think he'll be living on a lot less than we think. Spencer Matthews. Spencer Matthews. You see, it's interesting here that Hector Lang, Baron Lang of Dunfail, was a British businessman. Uh, so he founded United Biscuits and Lang served as its chairman. Lang was director to the Bank of England, uh, blah, blah, knighted, blah, blah, blah. He received honours. He died in 2010 after a short illness. So where do we get the fact that, that Jamie Lang is inheriting all this money? from United Biscuits, which was McVitie's. Where, where, where does that come from? I don't see it at all, actually. United Biscuits, I mean, I used to work up there. It used to be Crawford's. And um, I think 65, William McDonald's acquired 
Crawford's for 2.8 million, best known for shortbread. And so then it's all been split up. So then they bought United Biscuits, uh, sort of changed hands and all the rest of it. And then the company bought the UK portion of Group Danon's Jacob's Biscuit Group for 240 million. And then it goes on. So 2014, private equity funds managed by Blackstone and Pie Partners announced the sale of United Biscuits to Yiddish Holdings. Yidil, Yiddish Holdings. So the core of the business is in the United Kingdom, but it's, it's been sold. So I'm assuming that uh, Jamie Lang must be sitting on a fortune if it's been sold. It was sold in 2014. So I don't know how much it went for, but they do produce biscuits under different and, and under loads of sort of brand names. So I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure exactly. Turkish food giant gobbles up United Biscuits. So, uh, so wh- where's all that money gone for Jamie Lett? Has he sitting on a small fortune? Or is it just a load of old hogwash to make a story interesting? I actually don't, don't believe that there is a huge... Because they say here um, they bid around £2 billion, I think. £2 billion. They've got 41,000 employees in 10 countries. So as it's now been sold and it's out of the family, why would Jamie Lang be inheriting anything? It's interesting, isn't it, when you, when you start working out, it's like, you know, the saying about Paris Hilton. It's like, you know, I'm sure if it actually came down to it and you had a look at uh, Katie Price's uh, actual money in the bank, it'll be nowhere near what the papers speculate on. They've said 35 million. How can it be? Most of the things she touches fails. The only thing that sells are the books, and you won't be making that much money on the books. The television show didn't pay very much money either. So it's, it, it's mainly, it's smoke and mirrors, because what, what they do is they sort of allow people to say this. They don't uh, sort of say... Because if Jamie Lang said something about he's heir to this fortune, they sold the company. The company's been sold, went for £2 billion. So I don't, you know, not too sure, actually. Uh, by the way, Steve, I took Spencer Matthews and Jamie Lang back to London from Lincoln taxi ride after they'd opened a nightclub. To be honest, it just seemed like a couple of well-spoken students. Didn't seem snooty in any way. Dropped them off in Chelsea. They didn't give me a, a tip, actually. I shouldn't imagine they did. Do you remember Jamie Lang got told off being on the train? He was on the train once on his phone and somebody went, would you mind not speaking on your telephone? He got all uppity until somebody marched him off the train. (laughs) Wayne the Trolley Dolly, born and bred working class, literally within the sound of the Bow Bells at St Bart's Hospital. They don't come any more cockney than me. But I stay in five-star hotels all over the world, thanks to my job. But I still regard myself as working class. Yeah, we're working class because we need to work for a living. Until I win the lottery, they are net worth... Jamie Lang, two million. That's what they say. TV personality. That's what he, that's what his his job is. Net worth two million, and um, he's a noted reality star and entrepreneur. He's got a sweet company. Actually, see, I reckon two million. What does that What does that encompass? You see, it's interesting here. Jamie Lang, net worth in 2015. They've said here he comes from a very rich family. He's the heir to the biscuit company McVitie's. Well, he can't be. They've sold it. They sold it. It's owned by a Turkish company. Candy kittens. Candy kittens. So it's interesting that he sort of discusses, but uh, Kate Garraway called him out on it. Very interesting. So uh, heir to a company that's been sold to the Turks. Who'd have known? Who'd have known, ladies and gentlemen? 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. He's trying to work out what, what class people are. And when, when we say they opened a nightclub, they just went along there and they went, OK, and they'll probably pick up a couple of grand each or something, £1,500. And uh, they just go, they go, hi, everybody. OK, yeah, uh, take a bird back. Uh, not really the common. And so they don't. We have to go back because uh, Kagi's waiting or Pratt's waiting or somebody like that. And, uh, and they go back. I do know that Spencer Matthews' family got a hotel. 
somewhere. Um, whether he does that or not. He's, he's just another kid who got a good education, who turned up on a television programme and became number one irritant. You know, we've seen loads of them. Roddy Llewellyn's brother, Di Llewellyn, was another irritant. Jodie Marsh is very irritating. There's quite a number of people who just have irritant factor. You know, and you sort of look at them and you think, well, there you go. Uh, Steve, all these TV celebs get a fair whack for nightclub appearances. Two grand plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, they what did they say um, in my book? So you want to be a celebrity? I reckon you could probably make a quarter of a million a year. Did I mention I got a book? I can't remember if I've ever mentioned it to you before. But uh, yeah, you could probably make a quarter of a million a year. But remember, you know, don't get too excited about the money because out of that uh, quarter of a million, you're paying top rate tax. You're also paying your agent and you don't find cheap agents anymore. Gone are the days of your uh, 5%. I think not. Some of them beyond 25%. And uh, so you, you've got to watch this money. Then you've got your accountant's fees. So this 20, this 250000 comes down quite a lot. Quite a lot. But of course, you know, it's, it's a bit sad, isn't it, that Jamie Lang, with a, you know, a, obviously a very good education, has to go and open a disco. Oh, dear. In Lincoln, of all places. Who'd have thought there was such a thing? You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Oh, I'm just going to move over to get my bag, actually, because I was... Hang on. Hold on a sec. Hold on a minute. Because yesterday, for the first time since they've come out, I managed to get... And the producer's got one as well. He just said to me, he said, oh, I, I got one of those new fivers the other day. I said, blow me down. I said, I got one as well. I like them. I like... I, didn't, I don't want to let it go. It's, uh, it's see-through. It's, it's see-through, and it's got Big Ben... I love it. It's smaller than the normal fiver. They'll never re- reproduce this one. They'll never reproduce it because it's made out of... <coughs> it's obviously plastic. I love it. Could you rip it then? I don't want to rip it just in case. But where... Where's the serial... Oh, I don't know where the serial number is. Oh, on the back. Oh, yes. AK-39. AK-39. If you have, what, 8801? A, oh, right, OK, wow. Why? Why they were first batch? I think they're quite... They look a bit like toy money, don't they? They look like you get it in the Monopoly set. But I'm not getting rid of it. I'm hanging on to it. I've decided I'm not getting rid of it at all. <laughs> I don't know why. It's odd, isn't it? Perhaps they'll change the £10 notes. So what, what you're looking for... There's one here. Uh, an AA01, £310. Wow. So if you've got AA01 followed by a six-digit number, uh, that means out there... The first one was presented to the Queen, leaving 999,999 other fibres with the AA01 prefix. Prices going about £300. Wow. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? What you should have done, really... Because there is a cash machine in Kingston, and it only dispenses fivers. So I'm assuming on the day they came out, they just filled it up with these fivers. Whereas, in fact, if you'd realised that AA01, and then presumably you get a number. If you had a whole, if you had like a hundred of them, I would be taking out. I'd be taking out a serious amount of money if I'd known that they were going to go for that sort of money. Three hundred pound each. My God, you'd be quids in, wouldn't you? I'd be. I'd be keeping them pristine, putting them inside something to make sure you kept. Oh yes, definitely. Three hundred, even if even if they went for two hundred and fifty, that's very good. They're very difficult to tear. You can put them through the washing machine. Another spills. Who cares? I just quite like them. Difficult to tear, but obviously not impossible. I quite like them, though, actually. And uh, Ginny Cooper says Patricia wrote a 
A wonderful book on the class system, first published in 79. She said, I highly recommend it. Thank you. And Peter says, uh, uh, Jamie Lang hobnobs with the rich. His best friend is Gary Baldy. He lives in Bourbon and holidays in Nice. Maybe he is half man, half biscuit. He's certainly something. (laughs) Certainly something. And uh, somebody says, I've never been up uh, this early to listen to your show, but I reassure you, you are a breath of fresh air. Oh, yes, I have no doubt of that. I've seen the audience figures. You can't disagree with progress. You can't disagree with it at all. Works all the time. Uh, My darling husband, says Poppy Lady, has an acquired brain injury. So the filter between the brain and the mouth doesn't always kick in. Stood in a queue in Essex, listening to a couple of local females chatting. He smiled at them and said he loved the Haribo adverts too, but said it in a baby voice. Have you seen those? I like Haribo biscuits, but they're my favourite. And then you get sort of somebody else saying something. I always think they're David Beckham. They've just wheeled him in to do some impressions. I, I quite like those sort of adverts because they're stupid, aren't they? They are stupid. And I like stupid adverts. It's good. And um, uh, I was walking past Lots Road in Chelsea a few years ago, Steve. Asked this old man for directions. Turned out to be Bernie Eccleston. He just doesn't he look. He doesn't look as though he's got any class at all, Bernie Eccleston. The girls are sort of very nouveau riche. They can't help it. I mean, that's just the way that they are. And and then somebody else uh, said, um, "I was listening to your latest podcast underwater with my waterproof MP3 player. So I've been swimming with Steve Allen. Don't start that rumor." Don't start that rumour. I can get HR round to your place so quickly. Uh, another one here. There was another one, actually. Somebody telling me that 10 Rillington Place in Shepherd's Bush has changed its name. Oh, God, it changed years ago. They knocked the, uh, the houses down and it's a block of flats. I know because we were just down the road from Rillington Place. That was Christie's uh, place where he uh, murdered and dismembered all those people. He was hanged. And the hangman noted afterwards, because after they hang you, don't ask me why, but and I think it might have been... Uh, I think it was Britain's last hangman, wasn't it? I'm pretty certain. I'm pretty certain. Anyway, he he did notice that they have to undress them. So they hang them, then they leave them for an hour or two, where they go off and have something to eat, I suppose, and then come back and then they have to undress them. And all he noticed was that uh, Christie was particularly well endowed. Well, the strange thing to note in your uh, in your write-ups, but that's exactly what was written up at the time. Uh, Thomas says, has nobody ever told you it's vulgar and uncouth to discuss money? Oh, no, it's not. Not if you've got it. Oh, no, it's only vulgar and uncouth to discuss it, Thomas, if you're on benefits. You know, the rest of us can talk about it quite freely, quite freely. I mean, I myself have uh, some change in my pocket today and uh, we've got a new fiver. So it's 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 certainly not vulgar. It used to be years ago because there were lots of people who didn't have any money. But now with sort of benefits and thieving, everybody's got money. I don't think there's anybody who isn't. The only people who haven't got it are pensioners. And wait a minute, having just watched Nick Knowles' film, there's a bunch of pensioners who went out and held banks up, which is a great thing. I I think there should be a rise in pensioner crime. I think pensioners should be going out, you know, with sort of sort of Hatton Garden. That was all pensioners, wasn't it? Poor old souls, honestly. All in prison now, bless it. Except one, but I believe merely time. Merely time. And uh, have you ever thought of doing voiceovers? I do voiceovers, Zippy. (laughs) voiceovers. I could do them as David Beckham, but it's just... I don't know, really. I, don't, I, keep, I keep taking the mickey out of David Beckham. It's only because I think he is simple. Although, of course, it made me... I, mean, I bet he was really ill the other day when Victoria gave that interview and said that she thought she was sexier now than she ever was before. I bet he was rushing around with a handkerchief, handkerchief clutched to his face. And... Um, 
Another one here. Please excuse my ignorance, but the cheaper ITV channels are advertising some fifth-rate nonsense called Sam for Ears, Supermom, or the first brat or something. Could you shed light on her? Yeah, she, uh, she's, she's a nobody. She's not married. Uh, she's up the duff twice now, so she's got one kid. The first programme was slightly disturbing because nobody liked her, her boyfriend. And so they're, they're trying to turn her into something personality i thought anyway she's that like you know does holidays got clothing stuff like you know and baby and she's got an old man and so she used to go out with joey essex must have been the meeting of the minds what they must have talked about god alone knows he can barely string two words together she can do three so that's it so uh, that's it they're they've obviously bought this program where she shows what it's like to get pregnant and not be married, which is fantastic, isn't it, really? Dreadful role model. Don't pay any attention to it. Uh, Dave says, I, too, have a new £5 note. And I have to say, the bloke on the back looks a bit like Nick Ferrari. Well, he'll be thrilled because it's Churchill. Actually, we've got a story about Churchill and Blenheim. They've used it for filming and they've draped it with Nazi insignia. It doesn't look like Nick Ferrari at all, does it, really? I see Nick every day, so I promise you it doesn't. But he wouldn't mind the association with him and uh, and Churchill. Anyway, so the the Churchill thing is Blenheim Palace, uh, which is where Churchill is. Is he buried at Blenheim or he was born at Blenheim or something like that? He's, yes, I can't remember actually. Anyway, they've they've done it up and it's a war film, and so people said, oh, it's disgraceful. It's got all these this Nazi insignia. It's only a film they're making. It's only a film. They say goose stepping on Churchill's grave. Um, huge swastika flags were hung up. Uh, they say he's actually buried there. I thought he was in the local church for some reason. I seem to remember. When I watched back, they... Uh, he was... I don't think he was buried at Blenheim. It might have been Blenheim Village or something. I don't know. One uh, one war veteran said Churchill would be turning in his grave. It's a film, you fool. They're making a film. They're making a film, OK? It'd be a bit stupid to make a film about the Nazis without putting up the swastika. You know, which became sim- symbiastic, didn't it? Symbolistic uh, of the Nazis. But in fact, it came out long before that. Wasn't it a Sikh thing? I'm sure it was. And uh, anyway, so that's all it is. He's buried in, in Bladen. He's not buried at uh, this... How can the sun get it so wrong? He's not buried at, uh, at Blenheim. He's buried at Bladen, which is not far from his birthplace. But, I mean, they weren't doing it at Bladen in the churchyard. When they said they were goose-stepping on his grave, they were nowhere near his grave. Really bad journalism there. Shoddy, shoddy, shoddy. He's not buried at Blenheim. He might have been born there, actually. But uh, I don't know. I'm trying to find out where he was born. But, yeah, I thought Bladen, because I remember seeing the, uh, yeah, Blenheim Palace, which is the Churchill family home. But he went to, uh, he went to Harrow, and um, I quite liked him, actually. I, I never met him. Obviously, never saw him. He, he died long before I was sort of coming into adulthood. He was, he was 90, and he's buried in Bladen at the church there. He's not buried at Blenheim Palace at all. Ridiculous. The rubbish they put. Thank goodness we're here to put the world to rights. Thank goodness we're here to tell you. It's, uh, I think it's Sam's sister, Billy, who's having the baby, not Sam. No, I think Billy's had... Billy had the first baby, didn't she? And now we've... And Billy's having another one. My God, they're just churning them out, aren't they? Is either of them married? I'm not sure if they're, uh, if they're, if they're, if they're married. I know one of them is. I know Sam isn't married. Because they must be getting used to sort of flogging that one. Otherwise, the children would be called names at school, won't they, really? Uh, so Charlie and Not says, was Christie well hung? He certainly was. He was. Certainly was. Uh, to keep me, Angela and Bradley, a uh, bit news free this week, I've decided to read Backstairs Billy, a book I've had for some time about, uh, oh, yes, the Queen Mother's loyal servant. It's completely about class and his efforts to better himself. Yes, him and his boyfriend used to run Clarence House. 
says Jack in Catford. Yes, I mean, he uh, he had loads of stuff, loads of stuff, didn't he, which, which the, Queen, uh, the Queen Mother had gifted to him. Because I think she's supposed to have said the old line, I think, which might have come from him, that uh, she could hear all the servants outside. And she apparently called out and said, when you old queens out there are finished messing around, there's an old queen in here with like a gin and tonic. And uh, he used to take friends around Clarence's house. She depended on him entirely. He was filmed dancing with her and everything else. Oh, news coming up, five o'clock. Um, neither of the sisters are married. There you go. Keeping up the old Essex tradition. Get married, you must be joking. We just have babies. And then we, then we sell the story. Ghastly pair, ghastly pair. And um, I think they've both got boyfriends. Well, I suppose they must have, actually. That's it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the average British worker, 28 minutes for your lunch break. I don't believe it. Sweet, sweet loyal Mary. We only say that because she's 81 and nobody wants to offend Mary Berry. Uh, and the greedy rat, that's uh, Paul Hollywood, according to Jan Moyer. She's got it so wrong. So, so wrong. He's going with the programme, which is leaving the BBC. They never came up with it in the first place. Who cares? They're just a bunch of time wasters, aren't they? Have you seen how many people were working on it? Dear God in heaven, need a time and motion study, I think. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Friday, 23rd of September. How much did Paul Daniels leave in his will? Not a lot. Not a lot. Apparently there were debts to pay and things like that. Amazing, isn't it? That uh, one person dies with nine billion and manages to retain it all. He dies with one and a half million pounds. And uh, only ends up with 500,000. So all the papers are running with that one today. Uh, The nation's getting healthier, but you're apparently getting a bit more miserable. Uh, The signs that you're middle class, and it's according to the paper, what you've got. Whether or not you've got a vacuum cleaner, or whether you've got a Dyson, that can set you apart. Do you have a folding bicycle, or do you have a Brompton? All of these things make you middle class. The terminally ill boy forced to lie on the floor at Heathrow. You can't believe it, really. He was going back home to uh, to die. And he had to lie on the floor there. I mean, absolutely disgraceful. What the... They said a rude word. What's going on at Heathrow Airport? It's not good, is it? Uh, Noel Edmonds becomes the cat whisperer. The goose stepping on Churchill's grave, which is a load of old rubbish. He's not buried at Blenheim at all. And yet they've said here... They've said... Um, they say huge swastika flags, I quote, were draped outside Blenheim Palace near where Britain's wartime P- PM is buried. But it's not buried at Blenheim, so they're not goose-stepping on his grave at all. It's just rubbish. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. Anyway, apart from that, it's Friday, so... Uh, sorry, just add a little bit of milk to the coffee this morning to make it look marginally more interesting. I don't think I put enough coffee in it. I'm sort of... Um, sort of looks a bit awful, actually. It looks like some bad American chocolate. No, it's, um, I shall suffer with it. It's, as long as it's hot, that really uh, doesn't matter. Uh, Rillington Place, says Andy, the London cabbie. I've, I've never got in a cabbie yet and somebody's gone, good morning, hello. Nobody's ever done that. You always get, all right, mate, how are you doing? And uh, it's Ruston Muse, he said, I've dropped off there recently. Have you really, Treacle? Have you really? Uh, so, yeah, why don't you get sort of cash in hands, no question asked, all right? Credit card, don't think so, mate, machine's broken. So we get, we get that all the time in Twickenham. Oh, yeah, Twickenham, that was in the news yesterday. Did you read it? Not good. It's the most likely place, if you're a student, you're going to be burgled. Top, top in the country, thieving. And uh, the, uh, the college there, we've got a college for, um, for people who get drunk. And, uh, and that's all I know about them. They just get drunk horribly. And okay, well, they're all a bit sort of okay, yarish. But, uh, and I'm not sure if they've got a student radio there. Student radio, St Mary's? Probably not, probably not. But apparently uh, more people have stuff nicked in Twickenham. 
Because let's face it, if you're going to nick something, you're going to nick from Twickenham because it's going to be classy. You're not going to be going to Newcastle anytime soon, are you? You know, students in Newcastle, what they got? Some empty kebab bags and things like that and probably a couple of bottles of sort of cider. But you come to Twickenham, you're going to find nice watches, a bit of jewellery, because it's classy. That's the whole, whole reason people go there. You're not going to burgle anywhere. You're not going to go down to Brighton and burgle students. Because most of the stuff the students got in Brighton, they're wearing. Uh, Steve, the statue of uh, Churchill in Woodford Green, Essex. The sculptor was McFall and Churchill was actually present for the unveiling in 59. There is film of the occasion. Good Lord. Actually, that's a good thing about YouTube. It's what I love about YouTube. I really do. There was a story about mobility scooter robbers making off with cash. How fast do mobility scooters go? You know, it's... Um, I said, oh, I bought something for James O'Brien. I put it in his pigeonhole today. He was telling me the other day, so he said, the next time you go to Costco, Steve, because he kind of talks like that, next time you go to Costco, mate. You know, because he puts on the voice for the radio. It's, all, it's completely serious. It's, all, it's so shammy. Because when he does his, uh, his magical hour, uh, he's like, all right, mate, all right. He's a bit like that, which is quite nice, working class family. Anyway, so, and he said to me, next time you go to Costco, he said, can you get me some Turkish Delight? And so I've searched through, and I can't find any Turkish delight at all at Costco. It's obviously something they don't do, unless I'm just in the wrong area. But I couldn't find it, so I ordered him a box of Turkish delight. And I put it in his post pigeonhole thing. So I'm hoping he goes to it today and he discovers it. And we get that's Steve Allen. He laughed, make me laugh. He bought me some Turkish delight. Because he'll know it's from me, because I was the only one talking to him about it. So I'll probably get sort of some Twitter thing where he'll be tweeting and going, Steve Allen bought me some Turkish delight. I'm then going to deny it. I'm going to go, no, it's not me. Why would I waste my money? You know, but I did. And it was 8 99 but it doesn't matter. 84850, uk. Is this the, um... There's a gang of burglars who get away on a mobility scooter. And I think it's on the LBC website. It's that they were investigating raids on... It's on Facebook page, LBC's Facebook page. They're... Oh, they go quite fast, those mobility scooters, don't they? They're in Dagenham. They're not difficult to find because the, the CCTV is crystal clear. But they were raiding pharmacies. What would they be nicking from pharmacies? The, the, the cash machine in a pharmacy? Didn't know they had such a thing. A cash machine. Wow. But then he sort of, he looks around, he's got this thing, and then he runs back and he gets on the mobility scooter and off it. There's nobody around. Oh, there's two of them. Oh, no, there was one left. There's one left. The cash machine they took. How unbelievable. They left for the cash machine. I mean, it was interesting. Wow. They will find them. Don't worry, they'll, they'll find people. It's not difficult to find these people. They always think it's difficult to find them, but, of course, it's, uh, it's not. Years ago... I did a tour of Blenheim Palace, says Ken. When you look out the window of the bedroom where Churchill was born in the distance, you can see Bladen Church where he's buried. He's not buried at Blenheim. I know. But I've said. That's what I've said. And um, so uh, Mo says, uh, my son Zach called me today, say he got six merits at the school today. That's year seven. So a shout out for Zach. I don't do surnames. I'm not allowed to do surnames, Mohammed. Because uh, that identifies somebody. But you know who it is. You know it's Zach. You know it's yours. So, uh, so that's why. Uh, but I, I never do surnames. Uh, Ron says Churchill was born at Blenheim Palace. Yes, we know he was born there. He's not buried there, though, is he? Dear old David Beckham. And uh, <laughs> this one says, fancy naming his first son after a bridge. Didn't they uh, name all the children about... You know, where they were. So Romeo, because they were romantic or something. Brooklyn, named after a bridge. Harper Seven, because he'd obviously had a sherbet or two. And uh, and Anne Whittacombe. Your Anne Whittacombe is the best, says Mark. 
No, I won't. I think that could be anybody from Victor Meldrew. Yeah, Prince Charles. I don't like that man, you know. I don't like him. Because he's sort of terribly posh, but his kids didn't talk to him about the death of their mum. Because, obviously, he didn't have the faintest idea what was going on at all. Uh, 84850, steve at Should we run through the papers? Want to run through? Should we annihilate a few people this morning? That's what we do on this programme. We tell you the truth. I don't like to, I don't like to sort of flim-flam you about anything. Because I think it's so easy to sort of just destroy somebody who's in the papers just for the sake of destroying them. There's always a very good reason. God, the coffee's vile. Uh, anyway... Uh, so the goose stepping on Churchill grave, not true. Inside, um, Noel Edmonds moved on from deal or no deal by becoming a cat whisperer. Um, he demonstrated it on a radio programme the other day. I like Noel Edmonds. I don't know why they dropped deal or no deal. I think they had a new programme controller in or something like that and they decided they didn't want to run with it. I don't know why. I've really got no idea why. Uh, so, magician Paul Daniels. He had debts and costs. The bulk of his money was left to Debbie. Uh, he died of cancer in March. The gross value was more than one and a half million, but the net value was just under 500,000. According to his will, uh, one of millions digitised by the website Iron Mountain. Uh, Paul and Debbie, who worked as his assistant, were married for 28 years. It's not a lot of money to leave, is it, at the end? I'd have been happy if, we'd be, if he'd been left all of it. Uh, the Great British Break Off, uh, Mary Berry. And uh, she sort of says, it's been such a privilege to be part of seven years of magic in a tent. Farewell to soggy bottoms. And uh, Paul says, I'm sure Mary has made the right decision for her. We're great friends. I will miss her. Yes, I think people sort of seem to think they're not friends. They're friends. And she's probably said, good luck. But, you know, I'd rather stay with the... I'm 81. She's probably said, I can't be doing with moving to that sort of thing. And, um, and so he's, uh, he's turned down the BBC offer of a Top Gear job because he's going to get seven million quid over a three-year deal. Why, why, should, he not, why should he not do it and, uh, and benefit? I don't understand why people are sort of picking on him as if he's, sort of, he's done something really terrible by going with the programme to another channel and he's got a nice deal out of it. What's the matter with that? That's what anybody would do. Anybody would do that. If you're, as I say, even Jan Moyer, who sort of chastised him, quite wrongly, I think, and, you know, if she was offered a huge amount of money... Uh, for going somewhere else and writing her, her column, she'd do it. Of course she would. Motivated by money, I think. Uh, what else we got? Kelvin McKenzie's column, a little bit dreary, a little bit dreary. Uh, he's talking about... Um, he says, why are the Daramola sisters still walking around today? You know who these old bags are, don't you? This is after this uh, bloke, Chowdhury... Uh, his name was Fazine Chowdhury. He was, uh, he was fleecing people's bank accounts with information supplied by the Daramola sisters, a pair of ugly old bags of the first order, but they were, they were thieving from the bank. They were passing on information. Uh, they supplied information at £250 a time. And what did they get? Amy Daramola of Stevenage and Sister Emma from Greys received. Uh, unbelievably, Amy got two years suspended for conspiracy to commit fraud by abuse of her position, and Emma, 16 months suspended for the same offence. The sisters were employed as customer service people to help you if you had a problem. Instead, they were the problem. They should have been locked up. They got away with £113 million. That's what Chowdhury got away with. So him and his little cohorts have been uh, banked uh, in the prison, which is best place. I mean, you know, I find it unbelievable that there are still 474 customers waiting for a refund. Why? The bank's own employees had helped the gang, for God's sake. They should pay without delay, and these two old bags should be locked up in prison as quick as possible. What ghastly people... Never mind, you'll not be employing them any time soon. 
getting rid of them. Let's hope they've made enough money out of it. Ghastly people. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. Really awful. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Uh, another one here. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, clear spells remaining likely overnight. Weather. Oh, today. Fine but chilly. Sunshine after any local fog or mist patches. So now you know. A uh, little cloudy and breezier later with sunny spells turning increasingly hazy. However, it should stay dry. 19 degrees today. The clear spells tomorrow. Dry, warm sunny spells and variable amounts of cloud. Blustery winds developing later in the day. The high tomorrow, 24 degrees. 24 to good grief, honestly. It's unbelievable, isn't it? You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Fred gets it all wrong. He says it wasn't Christie who was hanged for the murders at Rillington Place, but his simple lodger played by John Hurt. It was Timothy Evans, and he got a pardon. And Christie hanged. In fact, Christie complained as Pierpoint was about to hang him. He said, oh, I've got an itchy nose. And uh, Pierpoint apparently quipped, not for much longer. Thought was good. The interesting thing was... In 1954, the year after Christie's execution, Rillington Place was renamed Ruston Close. But number 10 continued as a building. In fact, three different families lived there. Uh, In 1970, they refused to move out for the shooting of the film 10 Rillington Place. Uh, So they therefore set it in the empty number six. Uh, Just after that, the house and the street were demolished. And the area has now changed beyond all recognition. Richard Attenborough, who played Christie in the film, spoke of his ambivalence concerning the role. He said, I don't like playing the part, but I accepted it at once without seeing the script. I've never felt so totally involved in any part as this. Most devastating statement on capital punishment. So when Timothy Evans got granted his pardon, which I think was in about 1966, that meant that the family could now have his remains and they had him reburied in a private grave. Up until then, he'd be buried within the confines of the, uh, the prison. And so he got a pardon. One of those classic cases of, we're terribly sorry we executed you. We made a mistake. We, just like Derek Bentley. Derek Bentley, exactly the same. In fact, there was a campaign about Derek Bentley. That was the, the let him have it. And it took a long time. Uh, his sister Iris campaigned. She was interviewed countless times on LBC. I went to the cinema and Iris uh, was sitting literally just over the way from us. And when it came to the execution, she left the cinema. Uh, there, was only, there was only about 20 or 30 of us in there. Um, he then got a royal pardon in respect of the sentence of death passed upon him and carried out. However, in English law, it didn't quash the conviction for murder. Uh, Christopher Craig issued a statement because Christopher Craig didn't hang. Still alive today. I think he's in Australia. Derek Bentley hanged, but he had a mental age of something like 11. You know, he shouldn't have hanged. He absolutely shouldn't. And uh, a lot of people uh, thought that he was going to be reprieved. And uh, Lord Goddard uh, attacked Maxwell Fife for allowing the execution to go ahead. He, was, he had a, a mental ability of a child. He shouldn't have been hanged at all. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that this uh, campaign... I mean, they, they didn't know that he was going to get this uh, reprieve from the death sentence. And so I think they actually died in... Uh, uh, well, in 66, his remains were removed from Wandsworth Prison. And then it was that, that Irish sort of kept on because she'd pushed really hard, really hard for this uh, this campaign. But uh, the they actually kept the uh, the sentence of death, but they shouldn't have carried it out because he was too young. Mentally, he was too young, but they didn't they didn't quash the actual uh, the actual sentence. Uh, somebody says uh, we may have to uh, 
Called out the ambulances this morning, says Janet. Don't waste ambulance time, please. You know me, I hate things like that. It drives me mad. Don't call them out just for this programme. Uh, a lot of people telling me about uh, upper, middle, lower class. And uh, the reason that Mary Berry hasn't gone to Channel 4 isn't loyalty. Being two years away and her being 81 be more of a reason, even though she, uh, she seems a lot younger, says Mark. He says, I'm a reasonably well-spoken taxi driver, but I admit I do look a little bit like Minty off EastEnders. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, I'm, I've yet to get in a taxi and discover a, a toff driving. Good morning, sir. Where can I take you to today? Um, I don't know. Take me to your, take me to your tailor. You know, and see where we end up with. Uh, lots of... I see that Prince William's in all the papers today. He's, he's doing a call. Woo! Oh! Like that. To save elephants. Wonderful, isn't it? You know, what's he got to do with elephants? I have no idea. I think what they do is they go, OK, uh, what do you want to save? Um, ants? No. Wildebeest? No, no. Elephants? Oh, I'll do elephants. Let's do elephants. And so it's just an opportunity for him to sort of stand up and give one of his toe-curlingly embarrassing speeches. Because he's not a great speech maker. He's a bit too, he's a bit too fey to do, uh, do speech making. But uh, he said we have to save elephants. And uh, I think he's also uh, a patron of Tusk. Which, uh, which hosted the meeting, and he said that rhinos face extinction in our lifetime as well. I know. I haven't seen any round Twickenham for ages. It's ridiculous. Previous generations of his families. I'm sure we've got pictures of these people sitting on, uh, on elephants, going out there hunting, hunting tigers and doing all that sort of thing. That's what people did, isn't it? Because they're a hunt and shoot and a fish and family. That's what they do. They go shooting birds out the skies and stuff like that. You know, you, you, you bang, little birdie comes down. You know, the runner. Enjoy that one. And uh, we're grouse for tea. How lovely. <laughs> They'd like that. So somebody made off with, yes, somebody made off with a bottle of whiskey the other day from one of these Scottish whiskey places. It was worth 12,000 quid. They obviously knew exactly what they were nicking. Obviously knew exactly what they were nicking. He was seen waiting for a bus, apparently, with a big carrier bag. Shouldn't be too difficult to find, eh, should he? They'll find him. He'll be arrested. Hope he's not drunk it. Oh, dear. We don't want that, do we? Uh, a lot of people debating why um, Mr. Berry, uh, not Mr. Berry, why Mr. H- um, Hollywood has gone to Channel 4. And the reason is because they've offered him a huge amount of money. He loves the programme. And uh, now he gets to... He's, I mean, I, listen, he's just a freelance presenter. We'd all do it. You know, if I was if I was out of contract, if all of a sudden they said, right, you're out of contract, Steve, and somebody comes to me and they go, we'd like to make you an offer to host this show or that show, and I go, wow, really? I'd go. It'd be ridiculous if somebody then go, well, that's outrageous. Why are you going for more money? Go, because I'm out of contract. You know, Mr Hollywood and Mary Berry and the other two people whose names escaped me um, are out of contract. The BBC's losing the programme. It's going to Channel 4. And uh, Mel and Sue did their sort of drama queen bit. Oh, we're not doing that. Mel, Mel Gidroyd has got another gig. I'm a bit bored with her. I don't really want to see sort of unattractive, mumsy-looking types presenting programmes on the television. You know, if you're going to have anybody have Sue Perkins out of it and team her up with Rona Cameron or something. But uh, Mel Gidroyd is just slightly creepy. Like, a bit like Tony Beak. And, um, and so Mary Berry, she doesn't want to move anyway. She'd be happy. Just build a tent in her garden. She'll sit in it. She's quite happy. Just want to go there because the BBC have been very good. But I cannot remember, before Bake Off, what programmes did Mary Berry have on the television? How many were with the BBC? Because she said that, you know, her, her loyalty is to the BBC. I think the truth of the matter is she's 81. She doesn't want to move now. Why would you want to move? You know, it's like upheaval. 81 years old, leave her where she is, they'll find... Perhaps she can present Top Gear. I mean, to be honest with you, I can see her just about presenting anything. But did she have loads of programmes that were on the BBC before? 
She didn't, did she? That's why I can't understand what the loyalty is. I don't remember. I don't remember ha- having loads of programmes. What was before? Just written loads of cookbooks. I know. That's the thing, isn't it? I think people think, oh, she's worked for the BBC for all these years. I mean, she has, but on Bake Off, before that, it was nothing. It was nothing at all. She didn't, uh, she didn't do anything. So that's, uh, so that's why I'm slightly, slightly sceptical about the whole thing. And I think you should be as, as well. Definitely. Uh, right, what have we got here? Synth- synthetic alcohol. Just synthet- well, synthetic alcohol. What's the point of that? I can understand synthetic cigarettes, but synthetic alcohol. The whole idea about alcohol is that it's alcohol. And it gives you a, the sort of the desired effect. Uh, the product is called Alcosynth. It gives the sensation of being tipsy, but without the hangover. What's the point of that? Seems a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? The sensation... What is the sensation of being tipsy? I've got no idea what that would be. It's very odd, isn't it? Anyway, a second police force, also in the papers today, has been ridiculed for saying it would consider letting Muslim cops wear full-body burqas. How ludicrous. Have you ever heard of such a stupid thing in your life? Whether it offends people or not, I'm afraid it's got nothing to do with it. It's just ridiculous. How can you have a police... How do you know who it is who's coming to talk to you? That would just be ridiculous. Leicestershire Police and Crime Commissioner Lord Willie Bark admitted he'd be sympathetic to the idea... I mean, why don't you just have them turning up in Lone Ranger masks, dear? Let's have them there. I'm a Lone Ranger. Tonto. Tonto here behind me. Uh, full burka for Tonto. Ridiculous. I've never heard anything so stupid, honestly. Uh, is it Lord Willie Bark? I bet he's ancient. I bet he's pushing the boat out. Uh, but at least Tory Minister Anne Widdicombe... No, I won't. Anne Widdicombe has branded it a crackpot idea. Well, of course it is. Most stupid idea we've ever heard of. Uh, here's a whole flock of sheep in the paper. I like a flock of sheep. They're all stupid, aren't they? And he sprayed them orange to stop people stealing them. He hopes that the uh, the tangoed look will deter rustlers. There's no chemicals. He said it doesn't harm them. It's just like... Uh, it also uh, makes it easier to spot the black sheep of the family. So they're modelled on Amber Heard. OK. Make up your own jokes here. And uh, because sheep rustling is quite common. Thieves. Thieves come and uh, take complete herds or uh, flocks of sheep now, and they take them away and they execute them. But, of course, they're, uh, they're all orange. You're going to be finding them pretty quickly, I would think. Don't find many orange. It's just all the sheep go, what do we look like? What do we look like? We look absolutely ridiculous. Uh, what else do we have? Picture in the paper today of... Um, God, nobody. I can't find anybody. It's a sh- it's a shame, really. The bizarre column just turns out to be the press release, pro you know, column. It's just it takes God knows how many people to sort of write it. It's got one, two, three, four, five. Oh no, sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six people to do the bizarre column plus the person who heads it up. What a waste of money. I'll tell you, for just writing up press releases, especially the second bit of the bizarre column, it's even more bizarre. It's just, it's a press release thing. Oh, there's a new show coming up here. That's not exactly journalism, is it? The, the rise and rise of Paul Hollywood, £7 million, ladies and gentlemen. He's a very happy bunny, and we don't care what Jan Moyer says. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Friday. Love Friday. Thank Thank Crunchy, it's Friday. Because uh, it's a great day. So Prince William goes on the news and he reads out a statement uh, about elephants. Like, OK, yeah, like elephants, like, you know, wandering over the... Uh, over, loads of them. And uh, we've got to save the elephants. Well, you know, you can save the elephants. You just need about a 1,000 more staff because they don't have enough people out on the game reserves to actually stop it because they've got people who will risk life and limb 
to get those tusks. And then that's all they want, the tusks. They're not bothered about the elephant. They couldn't care less what happens to it. And so nine out of ten times, the elephant gets caught in a snare and it just dies where it where it falls. It can take a long time and they just go back to it and then they just hack the tusks off. I mean, it's a vulgar trade, but that's what people do. It's like people growing poppies for opium and for heroin and stuff like that. And you sort of think, why are they doing it? Because they need the money. That's what it comes down to. So it's very nice of Prince William uh, to say, you know, at the end of sort of, you know, Lottie's 25th birthday, we might not have any elephants left at all. And yet you look at them and, you know, there is a sort of a trade policy specialist being interviewed on the television at the moment about it. And you think, oh, there's loads of elephants, loads and loads of elephants. And uh, some get targeted by poachers. A lot do survive. But I just don't quite understand where William getting involved in this country. I mean, what, are we supposed to give money? That's I'm not sure. He also says that the, the rhinos face... Um, face extinction. Uh, William also said, when I was born, there were a million elephants roaming Africa. Yeah, but then they have to cull, don't they, to save the herds and stuff like that. There has to be a culling process in. So some get taken by the hunters and some, some get culled. You don't want these things to get out of hand. But I love it. He's obviously just reading. Somebody's obviously given him all the facts and figures and said, of course, there was a million, you know, when you were first born. Uh, Claudia says, uh, Paul Hollywood tried doing Bake Off in America on his own, taken off after one series. And uh, great show, lovely day at the Seven Valley. Hubby Graham got on the footplate of the Flying Scotsman, says Kim. Wonderful, wonderful. What a nice thing to do. Hope he took loads and loads of pictures. Uh, Steve, the irony of a policeman asking someone for his or her identity wearing a burqa. Oh, no, it's never going to happen, don't be. It would really be so stupid, although there actually might be somebody stupid out there who wants to push it. And so we'll have a picture, you know, of, uh, of sort of somebody wearing a burqa. With a, I mean, perhaps it'll be, I don't know, perhaps it'll be a specially made burqa with the police banding round it or something. I've never been so stupid in my entire life. Uh, Steve, all the sheep thieves have to do with those sheep that have been sprayed oranges. Move them to Essex. Everybody's sprayed orange. They then blend in particularly well, especially if a few are wearing ankle bracelets. I always love it when you, when you see half these old bags from, from the, uh, the, the TOWIE programme. I've never seen any of them. Never seen any of them in uh, in Brentwood, thank God. I think they must film, you know, when the normal people are sort of staying indoors. Uh, so it's a bun fight. Mary and Paul to be rivals, as the BBC plot a new show for her. They're a bit confused by this, the BBC. They don't have a show for Mary Berry. And um, what you can do, put Mary Berry and Mel and Sue on there. Uh, Mel Gidroich, who's, you know, somebody who's so firmly away from everything else. At least Sue Perkins looks relatively normal. Um... The format needs Mary's soft filling, but if she wants to stay with the BBC, just be another programme. But bearing in mind, until Bake Off, you'd never heard of Mary Berry. I knew her because I'd interview her uh, for some of her books over the years, but the rest of you wouldn't know her. She has no loyalty to the BBC at all. They just bought a format. And so they will then come up with another programme. But of course, if it's, if it's out of her comfort zone, she might not want to do it. So now they're all sitting there, rubbing their hands together, going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Quickly find a programme for her. You know, because something might happen. At least get something in the can, please. Whether they do or not remains to be seen. Uh, we're tired of being killed and nobody's saying nothing. This is America again. And it's just ridiculous. This is now the second black person in as many days. And there is uh, rioting. I don't understand. I can never understand. I can understand people complaining. I can understand people protesting. I don't understand why people are rioting. You know, people were looting shops the other day. What's that got to do with it? That's called thieving. I couldn't care less who you are. I don't care whether you're black, white, green, pink or red. Makes no difference to me. If you break into a shop, you're thieving. We had it in this country. People were thieving. 
People got taken into court. Luckily, we imprisoned a load of people, so that was good. Uh, the riot, uh, the cop told, near 800 now. People in full riot gear, protesters standing there, a lot of other people going out while the police are diverted here. They're going and robbing shops. I can understand how angry some people would get, but at least try and do it properly. Makes, makes far more sense, doesn't it? Uh, how to tell if you're really middle class... And uh, I'll come around to that later because there's a list of things that you... Oh, and by the way, if you're going to the beach over this weekend, beware of jellyfish. Portuguese men of war, I think you call them men of war or man of war, men of war, I think in the plural, uh, are enormous. Some of their uh, dangly bits underneath go for about 23 feet. And those are the bits that can be fatal. If you've got, you know, if you're, you might be on certain medication that reacts badly with Portuguese man of war. Because it isn't just a jellyfish... There's another name for it. It's like a, a paramour or something. I can't remember what it's called. It's something. And what it is, it's lots of organisms together which make the Portuguese man of war. It's not, it's not, it isn't like a jellyfish. And I don't think it's actually classed as a jellyfish. There you go. It's a marine, that's right, Fisadile. Fisadile. Fis, fis, anyway, the tentacles are the venomous bits. And they can grow... Hugely. That's right. It's a siphonophore. So it's not a single organism, but a, a colonial organism made up of individual animals called zooids or polyps. And they attach to each other. So they can't survive independently. So they function all stuck together, as it were. So, yes, I mean, this is the sort of thing you could have on Magical Hour in the office. You could definitely have that, actually. That would go down really, really well. So it's not it's not a jellyfish. And they're being washed up on beaches. You've got to be very careful. Uh, (coughs) You must make sure that kids don't touch them. They would want to. They would want to. Because, you know, they look as though it's something on a beach. But it's the... If you touch those... You know, strong winds drive them. They they don't... They're not sort of jet propelled or anything like that. I mean, often finding a single Portuguese man of war is followed by finding many others in the vicinity. They can sting even while they're beached. So, you know, you've got to be careful what they generally do. If you look at the, the length of these things here, I mean, it can go up, you know, really long, long way down. Long, long way down. There can be many, many feet of these tentacle things. This sort of hangs down underneath. And that's the thing that can give you that lethal sting. I mean, normally, severe pain in humans. However, if you have an allergic reaction, your larynx can swell, your airway can become blocked, you go into cardiac distress, you have an inability to breathe, and in certain extreme cases, death. You know, you've got to be careful. You know, instances where the stings completely surrounded the trunk of a young child are among those that are potentially fatal. And it's really, really, you know, bad. Really, really bad. And... um, The the sting is like a substance in the tentacle. And so what you have to do, I think, is salt water to rinse away any of these, the things that are left there. But it's, it's, you've got to be really quick, really quick. You've got to soak the wound in acetic acid and it's so complicated. I mean, you've also got to shave the area with a razor, rinse the razor thoroughly. But I'm not going to go into it because it might not affect you. But all I'm telling you now is don't go anywhere near them if you see them on a beach. You might think they look terribly pretty, but believe you me... They've got the word, and they they do look quite nice, don't they? It does look like a little ship, actually. This one they've got a photograph on the internet of one washed up in Florida, and you think, oh, that's pretty, and you think, I don't think we'll go anywhere near it because even when it's on a beach, it's still dangerous. The reason I mention it is because there's a few been washed up in Ireland and a few washed up elsewhere, and so the uh, the people who monitor them are saying, just remember, if your children find one on the beach, don't 
touch it. They might be tempted to sort of pull one of the tentacles, and that could be the worst, the worst thing that you could ever, ever do. Could be fatal, so just be careful. Anyway, what is it uh, now? I don't. I don't. We don't give many time checks on this program. There's a reason for it, because I don't really want you. I'm a bit like a casino in Las Vegas. I don't really want you to know what the time is, because you might kind of wander away. And I think if you wander away, then I'm not doing my job properly. Uh, I could go to King's Cross and have a, a look. Saturday, October the eighth. Actually, there's something in my diary for the October the eighth. I can't remember what it is. Uh, st- oh, I know. I'm going to Brighton. Uh, steam locomotive. I don't know why I remembered that all of a sudden. Uh, the steam locomotive tornado going to Lincoln departs King's Cross. 9am train trip called the Magna Carta. Also Saturday, steam locomotive Union of South Africa going to York. Now, we only want the, the, uh, the Scott one, don't we? We only want the Flying Scots. We only want that one. I don't know anything about the Magna Carta or the tornado. I only want the Flying Scots. That's the only one. Isn't it funny how it's been, you know... I'm not a train spotter, no, but I, I do like the idea of steam trains. You know, the idea of sticking your head out the window and you put it back inside, you're just covered with all soot. I could get a flask and a little notebook and an anorak and an anorak and I could sit on the end of King's Cross Station or Waterloo going, uh, is the, the train in from Windsor and Eton at the moment? Did you know the, the number on it? Did you notice the number? 4324, thank you. I haven't seen that one since it came back from Reading last week. You don't see them anymore, do you? You used to see them years ago. Train spotters sitting at the end of platforms. Right, they never spoke to each other, I think, because of obviously rivalry. Uh, did you get train number 8463? You didn't. I'm so pleased. Yes, I, the last time I saw that, it was heading out of Roehampton. I was very lucky to get it. I made it on the bus very quickly, just as it was pulling out. But I did write the number down in my book, as you can see here. Going back to tend to my pigeons in a minute. I don't understand pigeons either. I told you years ago, I went to look at a house, and uh, it was, the house was quite nice. It was in the right area, right price. Went into the garden. There was no garden. The whole thing was a pigeon loft. And he said, uh, I will be taking the pigeon loft. I thought, yeah, you certainly will be. You certainly will be. I'll be dismantling it for you. Because you get people who are interested in pigeons. They spend a fortune on pigeons. And then there was some bloke, wasn't there, who cheated. He'd actually pretended that his, his pigeons had flown the route, and they hadn't. They really hadn't. It was a little bit naughty. Apparently, he's, he's what? He's banned. Yes, I think so. Well, you can't have things like that. I mean, God, it's disgraceful. Uh, Zef says urine is a quick treatment for Portuguese man of war. And uh, yes, I mean, I mean, I don't really think you could just whip it out on a beach, can you? I don't think that would be the kind of thing. We wouldn't recommend that anywhere. Frightening people. And uh, uh, Dave says exactly the same. Yes, I mean, it says either you or a friend should wee on it. It sort of stops the pain. Yes, but as I say, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I think that could be... See, you probably find the police could become involved. It could become, <coughs> as they say, excuse me, terribly, terribly messy. Uh, some more of your texts and uh, email. And on that theme, actually, there was uh, Mel B. She weed on Bear Grylls' hand after he was stung by a jellyfish. Lovely. I don't really know what the answer to that is, I'm afraid. I don't think there is an answer. I don't, but I do like Bear Grylls. I do. But he said, actually, her, her wee didn't help his jellyfish sting. He likes taking his clothes off, doesn't he, Bear Grylls? He has this thing about taking his clothes off. I'm not too sure why, actually. Uh, 84850, Helen says, uh, hoping you're not too hurt after falling over. I seem to have sort of done something to my stomach, I don't know. Anyway, we don't worry about things like that. It's far too, uh, far too late in the day, as they say. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. I've so f- I forgot to order my tickets. I've just been reminded, actually, Katie Price is going out on tour. And um, and so, so what you get is you get a two-course dinner and a drink. 
Sounds riveting, doesn't it? And then your one-hour conversation. And she, on her Katie Pryde... She's obviously sort of... She obviously falls into this trap of writing all the claptrap about herself. So she's got, never underestimate the pricey. I don't know why she's put that. It's a bit stupid, really. And she puts herself down as businesswoman. I think not. Model, not for ages. Author, definitely not. Singer, quite definitely not. TV star, definitely not. Proud mum, probably. Uh, And equestrian something. And that's it. So, luckily, uh, according to a source here, um, her Newcastle appearance, there's still 357 seats available. Sheffield... Uh, the meeting room there is 250 people. There's 130 unsold. Liverpool, 300 people. She's got 208 tickets unsold. Uh, Birmingham, 500 people it holds. She's got 306 seats unsold. And um, I'm not sure, actually, uh, what she's going to be talking about. I mean, she keeps saying, oh, I'm going to be... She never reveals anything at all because she doesn't write this stuff. And it's all written for her. She just sort of sits down and dictates something ridiculous. She is a bit of a joke figure. That's why I can't wait to find out at the end of her life if I'm still around. I want to find out what she's worth. But uh, then she's talking about why Pete's OK with the kids being on television. Well, she exploits them as well. But uh, uh, on, on Dwight, and she sort of turns up with, with the husband who literally sits there looking like a spare part at a car boot sale. It just looks like a reject. There's nothing you can really say about Kieran, you know, that'll make him any more interesting than a piece of board. I feel very sorry, but at least there's loads of seats left. Now, I don't know whether or not to um, to book seats uh, f- for the uh, the event or not, or failing that, go and spend it having, you know, sort of Botox or something like that. The trouble is, because she is so ridiculous, and because she dresses the children up, and because Kieran looks bored out of his mind every time he's with her, you kind of wonder, really, what their home life is like. Dull, I should imagine. Quite dull. Remember the time she dressed up as a unicorn? And she go, yeah, because, you know, because I'm price is always right and all this kind of stuff. She, she comes up with little cliches, actually, you know, trying to string a, a show together. I don't think she can ever manage it. But uh, she's got this pony thing on the television. I don't think anybody's watching it. It has been classed by the media as a right bunch of old pony, I think. But at least the good news is there's tickets available if you want to go and see her. In fact, there's quite a few tickets. And also you get a two course meal and a drink. For me, that would be... Uh, the drink would be a crate of Prosecco. Thank you. I don't even know how much tickets are for this. This is a little extravagant. £75. I would think most of Katie Price's audience are probably not the sort of people who've got £75 to spare. You know, because if you're going out for a meal, if you're a Katie Price fan, you'd be looking at nine ninety nine and another free pizza as well on top of that and probably some garlic bread and a Vianetta. You're not going to be spending... Yeah, Nando's would be a bit of a... That's a posh night out, isn't it, for many of Katie Price's fans? But you're not going to be spending 75 quid. I don't think you are. Heavens above. I think people would pay it for me. In fact, I'm pretty certain they would. Uh, in the paper today, uh, Tony Beak uh, on Leslie Joseph. And uh, uh, she is the oldest female contestant on the show. They've never had anybody as old as Leslie, but she's a very young... Uh, in her mind, 70, let me tell you. So they've now s- slashed the odds of her winning... From 25 to 1 to 100 to 1. So she's, uh, she's a bit more competent than they first thought. They're sort of writing her off. But no, she's, she's, she's got a load of... Uh, she's got some moves. She can do moving and shaking. And probably do it uh, very, very well indeed, I should imagine. So don't underestimate the fact that because she's 70, she's an old woman. She's... Uh, she's oh, dear. Uh, Simon is another one of those very sad people. He said, you seem obsessed with Katie Price. No, it's in the newspapers. 
come on, wake up. Don't be silly boy all your life. You know, so, you know, it's, that's it. It's in the newspaper. It's in the newspapers. We talk about it. And it's in the newspapers. So we talk about it. See, the London Transport have got their museum at Acton Depot open this weekend. I like the one in Covent Garden. That's really good. Kids love that. Uh, opens twice a year. Got 300,000 items stored there. It's like going back in London. So uh, lots, of, uh, lots of history there. I know exactly where it is, actually. I wanted to buy one of those old ticket machines. You could buy them a short while ago, banging them out for 50 quid, because they found a load of them, and they're not much use to them, so they thought they'd, they'd sell them. And a friend of mine bought one, and I was going to buy one, and I didn't get round to it. And I can't remember why. I don't think it's because I didn't have 50 quid. I just thought, why do I want one? They've got loads, and I'll get one another time. And, and then never quite got round to it. Uh, fashion victim Gigi. This is Gigi Hadid. She's apparently a supermodel. Uh, for supermodel read, she's in the paper, so that makes her a supermodel. She's no more interesting than anybody else who wanders up looking like a clothes horse. But uh, a prankster grabbed her from behind and lifted her up in the street. The 21-year-old, who's in Italy for Milan Fashion Week, was accosted as she was leaving uh, a fashion show with her sister Bella. She was hoisted off the ground by the man, before she fought him off, pushing away with her elbow, as Bella shouted, let go of her. After her assailant, believed to be a Ukrainian prankster, put her down and fled, I write Gigi, ran after him shouting, who the... She used a rude word. Very, very rude word. But uh, he's sort of a prankster, that's what he does. He pranks people, and of course, they don't, they don't want to be touched, all these people, at all. They don't want to be, you know, don't touch me, don't touch me. Put me. Has anybody been quite frightened, I would think? If, if I, you know, if you were sort of wandering down the street and somebody came up behind you and lifted you, you know, uh, off the ground. To be honest with you, I wouldn't know who she was. It's only because she wanders around with dark glasses on and minders that you know who she is. Apart from that, you've got no idea. It's just a, it's just a clothes horse. They just put clothes on her and she walks up and down in a funny way on a, on a catwalk. It's not very exciting at all. But uh, there you go. Some bloke sort of picks her up. She elbows him. Oh, she's furious. She's furious. She's got very rude words in her vocabulary. Very rude. But, of course, she didn't know she was being pranked. But we, we get them. Do you remember that we had the one in this country, Mr Shaky Hands Man? And he'd start shaking. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep sh then they had Shaky Hands Woman. And they keep it going, see how long they could keep it going for. Some of them were amazing. And then they had another one who would stand there. And so he'd say, Santa, come over here. And he'd come over there and go, why did you make such a really bad film? And they suddenly realise that they've been sort of shamed on, on television. Because unfortunately, actors and, and models and things like that take themselves terribly seriously. Terribly seriously. You've only got to look at, you know, they, uh, they, they, when, when they do their interviews. They're so precious, some of them. I seem to get all the normal ones. That was on Banzai, wasn't it? Banzai! I still love the programme. It was fantastic. Among the people that Mr Shaky Hand Man got, Angelina Jolie, <laughs> Bill Murray, Chris Tarrant, Donna Airhead, Air, and uh, Kelsey Grammer. He also shook the hand of Def Leppard drummer Rick Allen. One of the last handshakes was Jackie Collins. as It didn't last very long. She forced his hand off hers with the other hand. Good for you, Jack. Good for you. That's what I like. And, and Rick, Rick Allen... Is, is that the drum with one arm? Because it's very difficult. If somebody shakes your hand, and they're sort of... I'm doing this kind of thing. And you don't know whether to be rude and pull your hand away. I would probably... Now they've actually done it. It's like undercover boss. You know, if a bloke turns up in your company wearing a funny wig and a stick-on moustache, it's undercover boss. So they don't bother doing that anymore because it's been seen through. They go, oh, right, so what, what, what do you do with, with the company? Well, I've been cleaning the toilets here for ages. And, uh, you know, I'm doing it to put my son through college, but I've got three jobs. Right, 
Well, surprise, surprise, it was me all the time. Look, me with a wig on. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. Oh, and I'm going to pay for you to put your kid through college. No! <laughs> and then they leave the company. And that's it. Many of them leave. They go on to do other things. I think I've been humiliated on television. People always ask me about that. They say, if all these people are embarrassed on television when they get stopped by the police, um, you know, wh- why, why do they agree to it being shown? Because you have to agree to it being shown. You have to sign what they call a release form. If film cameras come through here and I inadvertently find myself, you know, in front of a television thing, I could be going, I don't want that shown. I don't want that shown. It's like the person who went out on that dinner date uh, and they got Kelly Maloney. And, uh, and he went, don't show that. I don't want it shown. He obviously was too embarrassed by the whole thing. The Esther Ransom one was shown, I think, but I don't think they sh- showed the uh, Kelly Maloney one. He said, I don't want people to go out with, um, with, with trans people. Oh, pretty odd. New buzzword, isn't it, this year? That sort of bit of last year and bit of this year, and we started talking about trans. And then they started putting in trans toilets in schools. I don't remember anybody at my school being trans. I don't, I don't think we knew what it was. I don't think we knew what the word trans was or even meant. I couldn't work anything out like that. Uh, prison guard jailed for an affair with a lag. It's, uh, it's a pair of uh, lesbians. Melissa Priestley may be sent to the jail where she served as an officer for ten years before she started a relationship with an old lag. And uh, so that's it. She's been, uh, she's been jailed now. I mean, you can't do that, can you? You can't have people who are entrusted to look after people who are in... Uh... Oh, who's that? Was that on the TV last night? Who is that? Is that Tom? Oh, right. Why were we on the TV last night? Oh, right. We were on the TV last night. And Tom Watters was on. Oh, look, and moving pictures. I thought it was just, look, there's Matt as well. Good Lord. I only saw him the other day. Oh, right. How interesting. Oh, that's oh, it's the posh studio. Day. That's old Heseltine. Nigel Farage. Good God, honestly. It's amazing how good LBC Studio looks on the television, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, it's the one I'm not... Oh, there's Ian Dale. More makeup, I think, needed. More makeup, Definitely a little bit more. I like Farage, though. I watch him on television. He just seems to be wandering through life, having a nice time, doesn't he, really? But uh, I think that's very good. How many cameras have we got in that studio? Loads. Loads and loads. Fantastic. Uh, here's... Oh, we've got to do the news. I suddenly realised. I knew there was something we were heading up to on the programme this morning. And uh, we go more through the, uh, the papers. It's nice company. It's LBC. It's Friday, the 23rd of September. Uh, keeping in touch with an ex can ruin a new romance... Apparently we're getting healthier, but more miserable. So the more healthy you become, the more miserable you become. Because people go, you can, I mean, I'm watching all these programmes on the television. You know, have you ever thought about eating mung beans? No. Have you ever thought about hang gliding, you know, from 10,000 feet up? Uh, Yvette Cooper says Labour is now the nasty party. Uh, Joan Collins could be swapping caviar for some of Betty's hot pot in the Rovers. And who are the two celebrities joining me for In Conversation? You'll find out this morning with Steve Allen right here on LBC. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Friday the 23rd. Bombshell yesterday. Mary Berry's not moving to Channel 4. They were talking about it on every single programme. I couldn't... It's just a little cooking programme. It's moving from the BBC for a huge amount of money to Channel 4. Perhaps that's why they dropped Noel Edmonds. Perhaps they're saving the money so they can spend it on uh, Paul Hollywood. Seven million he's been offered. That's for, I think that's a three-year deal. Could be a four-year deal, depending on how long they want it to go on. And there'll be spin-offs. And because it's commercial, he'll be able to plug all the things that he sells, like his baking trays and everything else. should never buy things which are endorsed by celebrities. It's a very expensive way of buying it. You can get things much cheaper, as the papers proved a short while ago. Oh, and happy birthday to the Emperor Claudius. First 
Roman Emperor Augustus. I do beg your pardon. He's fairly ancient and he's dead. So I thought we'd just mention him this morning. But at least it's Friday. Uh, you're probably still suffering with the cold, which I've had. I tend to find working kind of pushes it to the, uh, to the back of the mind. <laughs> Only temporarily, though. <laughs> the rest of it comes forward. Uh, there's also uh, Noel Edmonds, who's now become a cat whisperer. I don't really know how that works. Um, I like, I've seen horse whisperers working, and that's very clever. And I've seen dog whisperers, and I like the dog programmes on the television. But, you know, the amount of airtime that has been devoted to, you know, the bake-off, which is going to carry on, say, the mirror, with Mel, Sue and Mary, you know, <laughs> really, does anybody care? It's just baking. There's supposed to be a national service broadcaster. Since when did baking come into the remit? I'm not remotely interested. I'd be more interested in finding out how much they're being paid. How much, you know, are they going to put Mary Berry on a retainer? She's 81. What's she going to be sitting there at 90 doing, you know... You know, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't really care, actually, either way. Uh, On the subject of Noel Edmonds, he can call your cat and tell it everything's going to be all right. I thought cats were fairly good at sorting things out. Or do cats go round the bend? Anyway, Deal or No Deal is axed after 11 years. I think because uh, they had a new controller coming in and they decided they didn't want the programme. And they obviously thought, let's go and get, you know, Bake Off or do something like that that gets an audience. And it wouldn't have mattered to Channel 4 whether or not Mary Berry went with it or not. The BBC can put her on something and uh, it'll either be a success or it won't. It's only cooking. It's only cooking. It's not really that exciting. It's just a lot of show-offy people and somebody eating it. I could understand it if you were watching her cooking and baking, but she just stands there and, and then they, it's Mel and Sue who take on the programme and then Mary Berry obviously just sort of pops in and goes, um, try a little bit of that. Quite nice. And that's it. I mean, seriously, I could do that. I could tell you if I like it or not. Mind you, I'd be as big as a... Have you noticed? She just takes little tiny little bits. And um, Paul Hollywood, it's obviously his time. He's quite smooth. I saw him at Hampton Court Palace only a short while ago, and uh, he packed a tent out. Mary Berry packs tents out. It's a very successful formula, and it worked very well for them. But, you know, other people can do it, because it's Mel and Sue, really. They're the ones who go around and talk to the contestants, and everybody else sits there going, oh, Mary Berry's coming back in again, because she knows the right things. Uh, Noel World, where would we be without our pets? You put down your name, the breed, and everything else. Now, Noel before has had slight going-off-the-rails issues where he sort of... He looks at cubes or stars or something like that which sort of predict what goes on. Not the first time that he's had a programme dropped. Uh, Noel's uh, house party was dropped from the BBC. Noel's Christmas presents was dropped from the BBC. To be honest with you, I've campaigned ever since. I know they're on Sky... But it's not the same as it was when it was on the BBC. But uh, we kind of pulled ourselves back after it. I thought they were always guaranteed to make you have a bit of a weep. Noel's house party was brilliant. Tony Blackburn popped up with amazing regular. There'd be a knock on the door. It'd be t- I mean, not, not today, Tony. And shut the door. And then the door would open again. There'd be another huge celebrity. And it would, people loved it. Why we can't have that, I don't know. The BBC don't seem to have the answer to Anton Deck. But uh, it's amazing, he says, how a simple brief phone call can pick up the spirits of the most dejected hamster the most stressed goldfish and the most neurotic cat. It's not serious. Is it serious? Do you think it really is serious? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it going... First of all, you have to put down the name. In the case of working pets, their correct title and job description. The breed, interests, you know, sort of cat, likes catching birds. Then you put down your pet's phone number and then your name and number in case your pet is out when I call. What? 
this not it's not serious. <laughs> Tell me it's not. How many <coughs> how many pets have got their own phone nowadays? Is this the oddest thing? He has called people's cats. Well, people have given their cats telephones. Go, oh, I wouldn't trust a cat to make folk. Oh, you can imagine what sort of lines they're through to, can't you? Whiskers hotline. Hello. I'm not sure about that. It's slightly bizarre and it's off the wall. We could... No, no, because he might... Do you have to pay for it? Is it is, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it must be some sort of paying thing. I mean, in other words, how would it be... How would it be a business? There must be... <laughs> I, mean, I can't really believe he would phone up. Do you think so? I don't know. I'm almost tempted to get him in on in conversation just to find out. But I have a horrible feeling because he, he was he was talking about it the other day. I have a horrible feeling it might actually be true, which worries me even more because I've seen horse whisperers. As I say, I've seen people who work with dogs and stuff like that. That uh, I don't know might, might be a bit bit too mad for us on the program this morning. However. The good news is that In Conversation is back with you again tomorrow morning between five and six. It's the best of Steve Allen, where we take the, uh, the best little bits of this programme, condense it into an hour. I think you'll find it's very entertaining. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's thought-provoking, sometimes you can't quite believe what you're hearing. And then following on from that, it's our wonderful world of celebrity. Two celebrities come in every week. And we talk about uh, their films, their books, their plays, their writings, uh, all sorts of things. And this week, we've got two crackers. Every week, we have fantastic guests. They work very hard to get some of the best guests in the business. And this week, my first guest is an award-winning actress of stage and screen. She's shot to stardom, really, I suppose, playing a Bond girl. She was solitaire opposite Roger Moore in Live and Let Die. That was the one who dealt out the tarot cards. Loved her in that. On the small screen, she starred in epics such as The Oneidan Line, War and Remembrance and East of Eden, and is now adding the role of Lady Lindo Parker in the adventure series Hooten and the Lady to that list. It's Jane Seymour. She told me her latest project is educational as well as entertaining. It's about an archaeologist who's, you know, my, my... Daughter who works at the British Museum, who has what you think is a quite a nice sort of quiet, um, cerebral, sedentary life, but she goes off to check up on stuff. And Hooten, of course, is out there, um, you know, finding treasures and uh, on the other side of, of the coin for that. And but you do learn about historical artifacts and about history that you probably missed at school. Yes. And so uh, subliminally, you get to hear all these amazing stories. And you, you know, who knew some of the stuff that, about the Vatican? I didn't know some of the things that I was learning. Um, about on this show so um yes you can you can actually get yourself quite a good uh, archaeological um hi- sort of history lesson while you're uh, wondering whether or not our uh, protagonists will survive or not but we can't tell you you'll have to watch it it's as simple as that but i like that idea they were doing a thing a short while ago at the tomb of tutankhamun and they thought that they there's a hidden chamber in there mm. where queen nefertiti is buried Oh my goodness. And so they've started investigating because they reckon in the pyramids there must have been so many secret doors and very much like your show mm. with sort of thing. And you think people come up in the same way that the Terracotta Army, if they uncover more of it, they're worried that as they get nearer to the tomb, there might be things in there that could do them harm. Ooh. So, of course, I love stuff like that. I do, too. Boy's own adventure. <laughs> Definitely. Sort of boy's own adventure. Well, it's but called real life. <laughs> it is called real life because there's so many things we don't know. Definitely. They, uh, you know, now we put men on the moon. Now you're involved with so much. I don't know how you find the time to put all these things together in your life, in between yeah. the painting and the sculpture and the acting. Do you have a... Does somebody look after your diary? Um, me. 
Yes, really? thank, thank goodness for the iPhone is all I can yes, say. And yes. I, I mean, I'm definitely a dinosaur when it comes to technology. But, you know, they've managed to, to make it user-friendly enough for someone like me. So I, I just stick it all in there and somehow manage to do it. She's got so many things going on in her life, Jane Seymour. She really has. She'll be with me this weekend for In Conversation, as well as Jane. I'll be talking to another star of The Silver Screen. He played the lead role in one of the most popular franchises in the history of British movies, transforming from a child star to an accomplished actor as he grew up at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. He's now back on the big screen with two new films, the comedy drama Swiss Army Man and the thriller Imperium. It is Daniel Radcliffe, and he told me about his lead role in Imperium. I play a character called Nate Foster, who is sort of loosely based on the on the true experiences of a real-life uh, FBI agent who was undercover with various different white supremacist groups for about 12 years, uh, a guy called Mike Michael German. Um, and uh, so Nate is somebody who has really, you know, has not got a, a huge physical skill set, is not like a tough guy at all, is very much working kind of in the offices of the FBI, um, but feels like he wants to contribute more and then gets offered a chance to go undercover. What I was surprised about through sort of learning and researching stuff for the film was that I would have thought that going undercover was great for your career because it's obviously such a brave and dangerous thing to do. It's really not. You don't... It does not advance your career in the ways that you would think it would. Um, But so, rather than sort of staying in a fairly safe sort of desk job, he he chooses to to go undercover with these these very scary groups. Which, of course, exist. Which very much exist. These groups very much exist. I've seen Louis Theroux interviewing these people, and you think to yourself, my God, it's like going back to the Dark Ages. You had to have your head shaved. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, I shaved my head. I shaved my head on camera actually uh, yeah. for the movie. So How that easy was, fun. was that? Because um, you can't get it wrong. Uh, no, you really can't get it wrong. Um, and it was, it was okay. It was, um, uh, you know, I was kind of where I didn't know if my head would have sort of strange bumps, bumps or marks it or something. It didn't, thankfully. <laughs> but I, I. Um, yeah, because I think for part of it as well, I couldn't. I didn't have a mirror either, so I was just, <laughs> just using the camera. Um, so I was like trying to see myself in the reflection of the lens and, and doing it like that. But no, it was good. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed having it. It's very easy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like that. He's such a clever boy, he really is. The star of the new thriller film Imperium, Daniel Radcliffe, in conversation with me this weekend, along with the actress Jane Seymour. So that'll be from 6am tomorrow morning after the best of Steve Allen. If you can't make it, you get another chance Sunday evening from nine. And you can download it all from the LBC podcast app for your mobile or tablet too. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. I will give you a time check. I don't really want to give you a time check, but I'll tell you it's 21 and a half minutes past uh, six. Does that cover it for you? Is that enough for you? Uh, So two guests tomorrow, Daniel Radcliffe. And Jane Seymour. Both cracking conversations. Really, really great conversation. Completely agree with you, says Mark. We need something like Noel's house, house Party back on television. If you were to host such a show on a Saturday night, the other channels would need to get their lazy thinking act together. You see, I mean, I'm way too old to be doing anything like that. Noel had it absolutely, you know, dusted down. It was, it was brilliant. And, of course, that's what Ant and Deck drew on when they did their Saturday night takeaway. They took from that, Game for a Laugh, loads of other things. Uh, but there were forerunners before that uh, but it should never have been axed. It, it had low. They said it had run out of steam. I didn't think so. And his his uh, Christmas present show should definitely have been done. Or get somebody else to do it. Get Alan Titchmarsh. He'd be brilliant. Alan Titchmarsh would be brilliant at doing a, one of those Christmas shows where you sort of reward people, which would be 
Well, they'd, they'd rather probably go for Alan Carr. It's not the same, is it? I can't wait to see what happens to Bake Off. I mean, some people are predicting that Bake Off will go the same way as Top Gear. It will just disappear and nobody will care because the money they've wasted on Top Gear. I mean, seriously, if somebody gave you three quarters of a million pounds for one programme... You'd be apoplectic, wouldn't you, with so much excitement going on. Uh, nice to hear uh, you, says Christine. She hope you're OK after falling over. Seriously, it took me ages to get up again. I've got to that stage now. Where sort of, once I'm down, I stay down. I kind of think, well, perhaps I should sleep here. A lot easier. Um, Philip says, I've just heard on the, the news that 96 people who died at Hillsborough get the freedom of Liverpool. Yes. Well, it's been given posthumously, and it's, it's just a nice thing to have. Lots of people get the freedom of the city, don't they? We get people here with the freedom of the city of London. I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't really know what it means. But I think what it does in their case is honour them. And it means that people don't forget. Because the one thing you don't want people to do is forget people who died in, in that tragedy. So that's why. I mean, it's taken them a long time to get round to it. I have to be honest, I didn't uh, think anything could take that long. But uh, but they do. Uh, Favourite film, says Kate, in North Lincolnshire. Obviously very specific about North Lincolnshire, which is... Not, I'm looking at property in Lincolnshire. I'm not going to buy anywhere. Don't worry, I'm not going to devalue your property and move in next door to you. But I was I was thinking how cheap it is. There was a lovely, uh, a lovely um, mansion, a rural mansion, beautiful, grade two listed, and there was an apartment in it with four bedrooms, three bathrooms, two sitting rooms, kitchen... Uh, two rods for fishing on the on the river. You've got two two places and parking for four cars. Six hundred thousand pounds. Round my way, that's just about the price of a two bedroom flat. Ridiculous, isn't it? Anyway, favourite film for Kate is Somewhere in Time with Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeves. Beautiful story and soundtrack. Looking forward to the in conversation. Well, six o'clock tomorrow morning or nine o'clock on Sunday evening. You will not be disappointed. And uh, Steve, a lady at work keeps crying says Gary, because it's the end of Bake Off. I've never heard her mention it until till now. Are people really that silly about a programme? It's not. It's just finishing on the BBC. The BBC there are other stations out there. Hello? Oh, dear, wake up and smell, smell the coffee. Oh, don't forget, just in case you're sort of thinking, oh, Steve finishes at 6.30. No, I finish at 7 every morning. I have to be quite precise in telling you that, because uh, some people might think, oh, and people now write to me and go, oh, you're on till 7.00. Oh, wow. Uh, do you remember the story I brought you the other day about the woman on the train? She's bought um, a reserved seat and there's two blokes sitting in it and they refused to move. Anyway, they were shamed on social media the other day and uh, it's now taken a twist. They're maintaining that she never told us she was disabled. Uh, they were also told that the passengers were told in an announcement that all seat reservations on the overcrowded Virgin train service were no longer valid. Well, that's a bit naughty, isn't it? Why would you tell so you book a seat and then all of a sudden somebody announces and somebody's sitting in your seat that you paid for? I'm told that if they can't find you something similar, you get your money back. But uh, it's a bit naughty anyway. Uh, so Mrs Lee is the lady uh, and former university lecturer was keeping a low profile yesterday after inadvertently starting a social media storm. She posted the photo of the two men. Uh, they're saying that they didn't take any reserve seats. They were told they could sit in them. Virgin are kind of sitting on the fence on this one. They're not really too sure. One Londoner wrote, disabled or not, reserved seats or not, you've no manners. It's the decent thing to do to give up your seat for a lady. It doesn't happen on trains. Seriously, it's the only... You could have an old lady on crutches holding a wheelchair and nobody would give up the seat on a train. Might be different on a bus, but on trains people don't do it. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, of course, would absolutely, wouldn't he? He likes things like that. He just likes sitting on the floor. 
But I think that's kind of his sort of place in life. Uh, somebody from London wrote, this naming and shaming on social media is very biased. These men had no idea the picture was going out and now have to defend themselves and get vilified. Reper- repercussions could be enormous for them and their families. And the rail traveller, this, uh, this sort of lady, is just uh, she sort of disappeared. But they said they didn't do anything wrong. But I promise you now, you could be literally standing... In fact, I've, I see it on a daily basis. Women standing on trains. Years, years ago, people would give up their seat. People don't do it now. Nobody gives up seats. They seriously don't. It's, it's, God, I think that must have died out in about the 1960s. You know, on a train, would you like to, to have a, a seat? People would look at you in disbelief. Giving up a seat. Well, to, well, they can stand there. They know what it's like. If they want to sit down on a seat, get a later train. Uh, so, uh, Paul and Mary to go their separate ways. Very interesting. Uh, not really. Uh, and apparently you've got more strike days. The union has hit uh, rail. They really don't like us, the unions do, though. They really can't stand us. The, the issue is not with us. It's not our fault, but they've got issues with everybody else. So, Southern Rail customers, more misery. Uh, the unions who obviously like to sort of bang the little drum for whoever. <coughs> Excuse me. 14 days of walkouts. Five blocks between October the 11th and December the 8th. And it includes bonfire night, one of the busiest days for Southern. Well, thanks a bunch. Thanks. Of course, nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us at all. Uh, also, Brad Pitt faces child abuse investigations. It's just ridiculous. It is just... It's getting... This, this one I, I did predict the other day would get completely out of hand. And uh, I think you'll find I'm going to be proven right. And also, some poor man. Here he is. His name is Richard Jones. Richard Jones was just getting out of the shower in his luxury hotel suite. The reason I'm doing it, it will become apparent in a minute, because he's Welsh Wales. Anyway, his peace and privacy were shattered when two police officers suddenly burst in, armed with tasers. So there he is, he's naked in the shower, pointing a stun gun at the naked businessman. They demanded, are you Richard Jones? He says, yes. The trouble is, he wasn't that Richard Jones. This was another one. In a case of mistaken identity, the foolish coppers had got him confused with a wanted criminal. The mistake only came to light when police studied the photo on the 53-year-old's driving licence and realised they got the wrong man. And as Mr Jones pointed out, it's quite a common name in Wales, Jones. There is a very good uh, chance. He was at the Radisson Blue Hotel in Cardiff, which is uh, really super-duper luxury. £140 a night free shower thrown in, and police officers with tasers just to liven up your night. Anyway, the Gwent police confirmed it received a complaint relating to it. A spokesman said, we have since spoken to the complainant. The matter is now being resolved. Officers acted in good faith. It's a bit frightening, isn't it? Just supposing he'd had a heart complaint. Just supposing he'd got out of the shower. Just supposing they'd fired the tasers. Can you imagine? Dear Lord above. Anyway, they're still appealing for information to locate Richard Leonard Jones as opposed to Richard Webb Jones. Lucky there was a picture of uh, the other Richard Leonard Jones. I mean, it'd be awful out there if there were criminals called Steve Allen. Somebody going, oh, my God, I've just heard this man. He's a criminal. He's on the radio. He's got his own show on LBC. Just after the news at 6.30, he'll be back with us. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Yes, it's me back again. 26 minutes to uh, 7. It is Friday, and for that reason, you can jump up and down and shout, whoopee. Uh, Steve uh, says, Mark, in Kidderminster, my father was given the key of the city uh, in uh, the city of Worcester for his role on HMS Amethyst that went down the Yangtze River. I was offered the key of, um, of Blackpool, and I politely turned it down. 
I said, I'm really sorry. If I'd just known there was one key, I'd have locked the door and thrown it away somewhere in the sea. And uh, M1, complete standstill, London bound between Junction 9 and 8. Already tailing back to Junction 10, says Tony. Oh, grief, honestly. What happens? Why do people have accidents? Ridiculous. I must just mention, before I do the front pages of the papers for you today, we we started off the programme this morning trying to work out what class we were. Uh, Because it's your possessions which work out whether you're middle class or not. So if you have these things, I mean, if, if you... If you bike on a Brompton, which is a very expensive fold-up bike, uh, that, that's good middle-class stuff. If you've got a Nutribullet, that's, uh, that's, that's middle-class. I don't quite see that, actually, myself, but anyway, that is. Uh, if you've got uh, Antler or Samsonite luggage, middle-class. Uh, a smart TV, 42% of middle-class households have one, a smart TV. Do you have vinyl records? 17% of middle-class households have vinyl records. 38% have a Dyson. That's a specific vacuum cleaner. Uh, 31% of the middle classes have a barbecue. Oh, God, how ghastly. Um, an iMac. Only 12% of you an iMac. Uh, the other thing is a wood-burning stove. 9% of middle classes have a wood-burning... means a lot of people don't have them. Is that supposed to be considered quite flash now, a, a wood-burning stove? Do you have a spiralizer? Just asking. That's where you put something in there and then you sort of turn a handle and it sort of does it. You see people demonstrating them all over the place. Uh, do you have matching coasters? Oh, please, God, no. Coasters on tables. My mother always used to say that. Stephen, if she brought me in a cup of tea and, and she'd say, I'll, I'll put it on the coaster. Parents of my godchildren do exactly the same, actually, so I've kind of got used to it. Uh, do you have a boiling water tap? That means a tap that you can drink out of, like we have here. We have a tap that you can wash, and then next to it is a tap that does ice-cold water, filtered, and boiling hot water, so you can you don't have to wait for the kettle to boil. Do you have a hot tub? Please, God, tell me no. Please, God, you don't have a... I remember a friend of mine did have a hot tub. I'm not big fans of them. I don't think sitting in the middle of the garden in the middle of winter with bubbling water and coloured lights around you makes you look attractive. Oh, seriously, I mean, I just, I sat there freezing to death thinking, what am I? They go, should we have some drinks? You know, we're sitting in a bath with three other people having a glass of Prosecco. What was the point of that? And then you get out and you have to pad back across the lawn again. You freeze to death. It's awful. Uh, if you have an Arger, 4% of the middle classes have an Arger. Smeg fridge, they're supposed, supposed to be very good. But, uh, but, that, but it's, it's basically the smart television. <clears throat> it does a bit more than just play out bake-off or something like that. They'll probably cry with you that the programme's going. So that's why they did a, a survey to find out that the middle class is growing, with 40% describing themselves as such. By contrast, only 1% call themselves upper class or elite. I told you. I said, you know, there might be 1% of people who'd be listening to this programme who would consider themselves upper class. I don't know who. I mean, it'd be interesting if you are sort of Jamie Lang. Well, that's probably a bit of an advanced question for him. Or Spencer Matthews, you know. Uh, what, what are you? Are you, are you working class? Uh, uh, Jamie probably, uh, no, but probably wouldn't know which class he was in anyway, apart from the remedial one. Uh, the Daily Mail, front page, sweet, loyal Mary and a greedy rat. I don't know why Jan Moore has decided to have a go at poor old Paul Hollywood. It's completely, uh, completely out of character for her to sort of attack people, especially as he's, he's gone with the programme. Why not go with the programme that he enjoys doing? If Mary Berry wants to stay at the BBC, let us stay at the BBC. It's nothing to do with being sweet and loyal, it's the fact she's 81. So I want to be started shunting around. A lot of young people at Channel 4. All right, yo Mary, yo Mary, go Mary. She's not going to be interested in things like that, is she? She's going to be the sort of person going, oh, it's the BBC, you know. I remember it during the war years. 
you know, and they used to play those nice songs by Vera Lynn. She's not going to be interested in Channel 4. She probably thinks, well, I can do something else. I've done it for seven years. Why not do something else now? Uh, also, Theresa May telling the country's five most senior defence chiefs to make every effort to halt the hounding of British soldiers. Because Iraq hero warns our boys will need a union to fight human rights lawyers who will probably tie them up in knots, I should imagine. So that's the front page of the Daily Mail for today. Andrew says, I must be posh. I've got an arger. <laughs> you see, I'm told if you have an arger, you need to get lessons in how to use it. Because it's on all the time. So it's, it's, it's very difficult. Very difficult. And uh, another one here. Uh, I always give up my seat for the elderly. Says Mario in Bromley. I would feel guilty if I didn't. But I'm surprised people do it now. Seriously. That's why you can see packed trains. I've been on packed trains before. And you see people sitting down. And families taking up loads. And a, They had a thing the other day. A bloke went on to... Where did he go to? Peak Railway. Something like that. And he bought his ticket. £37. He gets there. And they've got... Uh, ten people who can sit on a seat, ten people across this peak railway that goes up, and he bought his ticket, but he couldn't get on there because there was a family of four who took up the whole bench. They were enormous. And so they said, terribly sorry, we can't do it. They'd had asked the family to move, and the family said no. You see, I'd have gone, well, we're not going anywhere then. We'll sit here until you move. It's as simple as that. Why don't we pander to people? I've got no idea. Uh, the Daily Express front page, Bake Off's dream team splits as Mary quits. Well, she just doesn't want to go to Channel 4. I don't see there's any problem with that. She doesn't want to go. Don't go. Doesn't want to do Bake Off? Don't do Bake Off. You know, doesn't make any difference. Not going to change my life. She's probably happy where she is. Doesn't have to do very much work. I bet you anything, if she was working at Channel 4, she'd have to work a lot more than she does. All she has to do now is just sort of eat little bits of food. That's, you know, she's 81. Not going to be dancing around and jumping on and off chairs, is she, anytime soon? Uh, Also, Strictly's Karen dances past Anton in the race to replace Len. Well, I think I would rather have her. I don't know who she is. I'd rather have her than Tony Beak, who just looks like sort of an oil slick. And I'm, I'm looking for something a little bit more than an oil slick. He just comes over as uh, <coughs> sort of gushy and uh, fake. Uh, flying off to Copenhagen this morning, says Scott. And uh, he said, have you ever been? Dull, dull, boring. The most boring place you can ever go to. Really. I mean, you just, just, just go there. Get off at the airport, look at it, get back on the plane, come back to London. There's nothing in Copenhagen. You can wander along the little canals at the back and see happy Copenhagians eating out at little sort of cafe society table. It's boring in the extreme. We stayed in a posh hotel there. The only good thing about it was the Tivoli Gardens, and that's like stepping back into the ark. It really is. It's like that's where all Copenhagians go for a day out. Producer loved it, but that's his kind of thing. He likes dull East European towns. He likes that... East European-looking towns. And when we went... Yeah, there's loads of cycling. When we went there, there was a, there was a big meeting in the, in the town square. And there's lots of people waving... For, it turned out we, we'd wandered into a gay pride meeting. And there was like, families there, because they're all very much... You know, it's, uh, it's OK, families do this and all the rest of it. And we support the gay rights and we support trans and we do all this kind of thing. And I just looked at it and thought, oh, God, another European city. It was, it was marginally better than Brussels. And that's pretty dreary at the best of times it's funny actually i mean there's sort of loads i'm I'm sure actually there's probably some quite nice places abroad i just haven't found them yet Uh, the daily star on the front page bake off paul in seven million pound deal i think it i think it's this will equate to about two and a bit probably with endorsements and all sorts of things and uh and it'll it'll be nice he'll be able to flog his pots and pans 
and, and, and it'll be good. Whether or not the programme bears any resemblance to the first one, they've said they want to keep it roughly the same. It just won't have Mary Berry there, or Mel and Sue. But they'll find other people. They'll turn it into a different sort of programme. It'll still be called Bake Off, because that's what they bought. They bought the title for, for three years or something like that. Anyway, uh, Brad Pitt probed over child abuse, wasted and violent, on his private jet. I don't know where this tittle-tattle is coming from. It's quite ridiculous, isn't it? It's quite ridiculous. And uh, I said this one was going to get ugly, and it is. His meltdown horrified Angelina Jolie and sparked the marriage split. I mean, I just... I've heard of people who argue all the time. They're married, but they argue. And they get through it. You know, as, as most married couples will tell you, as long as you don't go to bed on an argument, you're all right. If you go to bed on an argument, by the time you've festered overnight and it's got to the next morning, it really is terrible. Uh, I always give up my seat for women, elderly people, uh, people with babies and people who look like they're struggling, Steve. Makes a great opening for chatting up. Unfortunately, it only seems to work with the elderly. I know. That's great, actually. Apparently, Nick says, if you offer up your seat, it makes you sexist. Oh, God. Can't win, can you? Can't win. I mean, I don't. I have done it in the. If I was on a bus and an old lady got on and wanted to sit down, I'd give up my seat. Of course, I would. On a train, I wouldn't. Why would I? I'm as elderly as the next person. I need to sit down. I need to rest my legs. Can't be seen, sort of, you know, bouncing around like Tigger. Thank you very much indeed. Mary Berry, front page of the uh, Daily Telegraph today. Ed Balls, because I mean. Judging by all the publicity we've had, I don't think it starts till this Friday, does it, Strictly? Like anybody cares. I'm not bothered. He says, I'm going to embarrass my family. Well, you've embarrassed everybody else. You might as well do the family as well. I mean, to be honest with you, it's gonna, they're predicting he'll be the first one out. Which means he probably won't be, because it's always the one who's the idiot, isn't it? They had him. Who was the one who, who sort of... We've had all sorts of people over the years who have been disastrous. And Widdicombe being one of them. I mean, she, you just can't dance with a Teletubby. John Sargent was another one. He sort of... He built a career on being useless. Ed Balls. I mean, I'm just thinking it's going to be an embarrassment. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really not bothered anyway. Shan't be watching the thing. Uh, soldiers' legal fees, doctrine pay. Troops facing abuse claims must bear the cost of defence while the accusers are given aid. And the good news is, the new king in the kitchen? Aubergines. Aubergines. I don't know what you use aubergines for. Do you use those for... Is that lasagna aubergines or is that something? I don't know. I've seen loads of them. I just don't know what you do with them. Uh, the overnight NHS services left without GPs uh, run without a single doctor. What they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, sort of turn to refugee medics to plug desperately shortage uh, shortages throughout the country of GPs. Blimey. That's a bit of a worry, isn't it? A little bit of a, I don't like that kind of thing. I don't like it when they say there's a shortage of things. Where do they go to? The answer is they probably go, go abroad. Uh, Zuckerberg and Chan donate their fortune to scientists in an attempt to stop serious illness. All of them. They've said all of them by the year uh, 21. By the 2100. I couldn't work out what you called it, actually. I looked at it thinking, is it 2100 or 2100? And... Um, and that's what they say. So they're, they're donating, I think it's something like three billion. And you think, blimey. I mean, they are filthy rich. They are filthy rich. Isn't it a nice thing to do, though? But I think people who've got that much money, that's only 5% of his total... Oh, you meanie. What a mean person that Mark Zuckerberg is. But it's, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to do. You know, if that's what he wants to do with his money and make some sort of difference. I mean, you know, when they say we can cure all diseases, we've not found a cure for the common cold yet. So let's start with that one, and then we'll try and work through cancer and everything else. But because there's so many different forms of cancer and so many different forms of, of illnesses, they're never going to find it. But, I mean, at least it's a start. 
bit late in life, though, for many people, isn't it? You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Thank you. It's uh, 11 minutes to 7 o'clock, just in case you're, uh, you're train-watching. Or if you're sitting in that traffic jam six miles back, you're going to get very frustrated today. So thank God for us. We'll make you even more frustrated. Kevin says it doesn't help that about half of rail passengers think their bag and coat is entitled to a seat. Oh, join me on that one. That's the one that does, uh, does really annoy me. Uh, it's moussaka for aubergines. It's the new superfood again. Every so often I, I sort of get a story out of the paper and they go, oh, you should all be, uh, all be sort of eating aubergines. And you think, well, people do eat aubergines. Leeks are very popular. That's one of my favourite soups, actually, leek and potato. And uh, yesterday, says Shirley, a young man gave me a seat on a train. Should have taken his picture. But it's much, it's greater. Great, she says, to have you on longer every morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, Sarah in Surrey says, what utter nonsense these status symbols are. I've known of folk who've had an argument, but have no idea how to use it. No, and they cost thousands. They cost absolutely thousands, but uh, I've never had one either. I do know people who've got one, and I'm told that once you've actually mastered it, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Not going to be entering my life anytime soon, I don't think so. Um, I'm not surprised <clears throat> there's a shortage of GPs. Two have left our surgery and they've opened a clinic, says Penny, where they do Botox and fillers. Ooh, e says Christmas shopping on QVC. Yeah. Yes, it is, actually. Yes. It, well, loads of they've been doing it for ages and ages. People, there was a picture in the paper, wasn't there, of Marks and Spencers selling uh, Christmas items. And you think, but since August... They've been selling this in Selfridges. Why are you getting excited about that? Maybe Mary Berry, says Nick, southbound on the M11. Bless his heart. Maybe Mary Berry could fall back on the proceeds of her excellent Arga cookbooks, indispensable to aspiring metal-glassed Arga owners. I love that idea. If you've got an Arga, you're obviously... I mean, you wouldn't find that on a council estate. You really wouldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm not being rude, but you just wouldn't. An Arga is for sort of people who've got, you know, like two dogs, like retrievers, and probably a lab... And uh, and do ya and uh, and the, the daughter's called Tiffany and the other one's called Prue or something I don't know they probably go to Tiffin Girls School or something in Twickenham that's quite posh you can always tell a posh school because because the kids are wearing proper uniforms you can always tell the school where they don't really care because the girls have hitched the skirts up as high as they can go without them being totally indecent but there's a boys' school. And all the boys have got immaculate haircuts. You just have to, you only have to look at them to realise that they're not going to be going, all right, mate, anytime soon. Uh, on the subject of a hot tub, uh, Jim says, I was just about to go and buy a hot tub uh, just to ensure that I hit middle class. But could I not use my posh dressing gown when I come out to keep me warm? Oh, dear, I'm not actually sure about dressing gowns. I don't think dressing gowns uh, are indication of the... I think the whole idea is just walk about in your vest and pants, which is, in good, which is good. Uh, I'm in Cyprus says uh, Dallas, enjoying temperatures of 34 degrees. Good. <laughs> Suffer with it. <laughs> Don't impress me with temperatures like that, but uh, really enjoy listening to you, even when I'm away. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, another one here. I'm trying to get in as, as many of these as possible. Uh, Grace says, what do you do in LBC's office magical hour? Uh, well, we, we just sort of wind James O'Brien up. But don't, now, don't forget, you have to ask him today. Uh, you've got, first of all, two things you've got to do. You've got to ask Sadiq Khan, when he's on with Nick Ferrari, exactly uh, when he's going to get rid of the pedicabs. These people who rip people off. They thieve, they do everything. When are we getting rid of them? Wrong ways up the one-way street. Really dangerous in London. They sh- nobody should be getting them in them any time soon. Uh, <clears throat> and that's always been my... Th- I've always said that from the first... From the first off moment, I've thought they were dangerous in London. Most of the people look highly dubious. And then James O'Brien, you've got to ask him if he enjoyed his Turkish delight. 
because I put some Turkish delight in his uh, in his pigeonhole because he was talking about it the other day and being a very generous person and uh, wanting to increase his weight even further. Uh, I've given him some of that. The Times this morning. Uh, Meet the Brit who ruled the Emmys. Uh, unhappily ever after, the number of wretched unions doubles. The number of people living in deeply unhappy relationships. That's, that's the unions. Double. More than a million people say they're miserable with their spouse or long-term partner. A million people. That's how rich they are, doesn't it, really? If somebody's really rich, you can kind of put up with misery. But uh, one in 20 was extremely unhappy in 2014. Good Lord. And 500 million web users hit by the biggest hack. This is on Yahoo. Who uses Yahoo? Does anybody use Yahoo anymore? Good Lord. And uh, even Michelle Obama's passport has been uh, leaked. Well, what are you going to do with that? Pass yourself off as Michelle Obama. don't quite understand it. But, uh, and a dream home. Get one without breaking the bank. It's amazing how cheap you can buy property up and down the length and breadth of this fair land of ours. Uh, The Guardian. Oh, look, surprise, surprise. Mary Berry quits the bake-off. Yeah, but the BBC will find something. They're, of course, now running around like headless chickens going, oh, God, we've got to find her another job. You know, because, I mean, you can't get to do an antiques programme, can you? She has a dog called... Now, is this a middle-class name for a dog? Mary Berry's dog. What's, What's she called it? What's she called it? Come on. This is proving once and for all that she's absolutely middle class. Her dog is called... Darcy. I mean, you know, you go out there, it used to be Rex and stuff like that. Darcy, 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 you know. A bit Poldark, isn't it, or something like that, isn't it? It sounds like one of those old-fashioned names. Mind you, we had a dog called Jasper. What does that make us? People with a dog called Jasper. Uh, other stories running in the uh, <clears throat> the Guardian uh, here. Obama on film, the first date movie. Uh, David Bowie, Who Can I Be Now? There's a, a couple of books out. I'm going to be doing one of them for In Conversation, a lady who knew Bowie very, very well and has written a book about him. Um, and there's a lovely picture on the front. This is the first time we've actually got one. I didn't think I'd be sitting here saying this, but the Financial Times have got Mary Berry on the front in a colour photograph. In a colour photograph on the Financial Times. There's a first. And she's... Um, Mary Berry announced she'll quit the Great British Bake Off and uh, she's pictured at uh, the Wisley Flower Show last year. She was staying with the BBC out of loyalty. I don't really quite understand why. You know, out of loyalty. Oh, there you go. Uh, fellow presenters Sue and Mel also said they were not going with the dough. So the turmoil over the programme has signalled a shift in power in the TV industry to programme producers from broadcasters. Listen, who cares? Who cares? I'd be, I'd be happier to know what they're being paid by the BBC. The BBC, what did they pay for it? They pay six million a year or something. Whatever it was, I mean, it, it, they, they decided to sort of get Mary Berry in and it sort of gave her a resurgence and a new audience. Mel and Sue were just, they, they, they don't care where they go. Somebody will give them a cheque and they'll, they'll just do their, their old act. And, um, and so then it all finishes and people go, they're all up in arms. Like, you know, something dreadful has happened in the world. You know, people have been saying, isn't this awful? It's moving to Channel 4. Like Channel 4, admittedly. I mean, thank God it hasn't moved to ITV2. Can you imagine being shoved alongside Celebrity Juice? with that? So funny, the other day, they were doing a trailer. I don't know if Celebrity Juice is on tonight. I never watch it. I can't, really can't bear it. I absolutely can't bear it. And they gave the line-up. It's Campo de Gino and uh, a couple of other people I've never heard of. And then they went, Aston Merigold. Who? Aston Merigold. And I thought... But I thought you were going off to have a singing career. He can't have worked a day since he left JLS. 
Carter worked today. I thought he was going into the recording studio and doing everything else. And he's had to come back. I think he's doing... What is he doing? Somebody told me he was doing something. And uh, it might be a reality kind of show, I think. Whatever it is, I remember thinking, ah, so the, uh, the singing career didn't take off. But there was that rumour the other day, and I'm still not sure if it is a rumour or if it's truth, that JLS are thinking of getting back together. I mean, I put it into the same camp as Bross were getting back together. I decided I wasn't really sure whether or not there'd be any interest in Bross getting back together, seeing as they've both gone completely separate ways and they haven't sung together in donkey's years. Aston Mer- Oh, that's right. He's been on this... He obviously can't get any work at all. And uh, so uh, already Celebrity Island with Bear Grylls kicked off and Aston Merigold already wants out. He's obviously a bit weak and feeble, isn't he? Poor soul. And uh, this is all filmed. They've already done it. Uh, Once on dry land, setting up camp was the first objective for Ollie Locke. Dom Jolly's on. He can't get any work at all now. He's just he just has to turn up on something. And also Karen Danjuk. I mean, honestly, it really is. Aston says there's no way I'm risking my life for this. So he sent out an SOS. Bit like your career, isn't it, really? And uh, I don't really know what these sort of people are going to do out there. They're all a bit lame and weak. I don't mind lame and weak people, but I just don't want to see them on the television. Thank you very much indeed. Sadly, no more time today, but you will join me tomorrow morning, I know, for the best of Steve Allen. Between five and six, and then between six and seven, it's in conversation. The fabulous Daniel Radcliffe and Jane Seymour will be with me tomorrow. Then I'm back on Sunday morning. As well, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Steve Allen Show. I'm actually feeling a lot better. I don't know. I had some um, some fruit earlier on. I don't think that makes it. I'm just trying to do it in case the boss is listening and thinks I'm not being healthy. So if I say I've had some fruit, he might think that at least I'm making an effort. Not having fruitcake, of course, helped me an awful lot. Thank you for your texts and emails. Have a great weekend. You can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. Download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet and never miss anything. Leading Britain's conversation at 10... It's James O'Brien. We're coming up right now. Nick Ferrari at breakfast. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.